Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. There's nothing left for us to do Find the strength to see this through We are the ones who will never be broken With our final breath We'll fight to the death We are soldiers We are soldiers Coming to Bard's Logic, Political Talk, part of the growing conservative conversation, and also part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. And also uh, check out the Bard's Logic Political Talk page by going to www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. And if you'd like to send me, the host, a message, just go to the contact page. Uh, whether a message is uh, for me or anything about the show tonight, uh, go ahead and do so. If you'd like to get emails uh, from the show, you can do it one of two ways. One here on Blog Talk Radio, you can push the follow button on the page here on Blog Talk Radio. Or you can, again, send me a message to bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Go to the contact page. And then send me a message that you would uh, also like to be on the mailing list, email list, so that you too can get updates about the upcoming 
and previous shows and with uh, those links as well. Now, tonight we have a guest on who is Mark Henkel, who is the National Polygamy Advocate, and we'll have him uh, talking soon. And so let's go ahead. I think uh, without any further ado, uh, bring our guest in. I believe we have him on the line. Thank you very much, Mark, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great. It's great to have you on, especially uh, I think the timing is, is just right. I know some time ago uh, you sent a message or a, a link on LinkedIn. Um, so I'm glad we finally got the opportunity to do that and uh, definitely have uh, this discussion tonight. And so we thank you for coming on, um, especially, you know, as we said, off the air uh, with the uh, recent decision by the Supreme Court. Now, I wanted to uh, watch some of the videos uh, that you sent me, and I appreciate those and read part of the article, and also uh, watch some of the other uh, videos you have there uh, on your YouTube. And I definitely can see the passion that you have for uh, the issue. So please uh, tell us uh, what got you started in uh, the polygamy advocacy. Well, as a Christian, I am even evangelical Christian. I went to a church and it is Protestant and was told that doctrine is based on what the Bible says and not what any man or woman tells you. I was told, Mark, you've got to study the Bible yourself. The Word of God is what it is and it's not whatever anybody else says. And that was their big mistake because I'm the kind of guy when I went to college, I got two degrees in three years with a 4.0 business and accounting, and I study things intensely. And that's exactly what I did with the Bible. And as I studied the Bible over and over and over, one glaring, visible, manifestly evident fact emerged, and that is there is zero, absolutely zero evidence of the required one-man-one-woman doctrine anywhere in the Bible. Now, granted, there's no such thing as same-sex marriage and other things, but certainly it never created the invention of the ban on polygamy. In fact, there were many superheroes of the Bible that had more than one wife. The very man himself who wrote the Adam and Eve story and wrote the Genesis 2.24 verse of one flesh himself, Moses, the Bible says, had two wives. Abraham had three wives. The 12 tribes of Israel were born of Israel's four wives. David had eight known named wives. So it started becoming clearly evident that something is not being told the truth. And as I studied it more and more and more, it was very clear. And history showed that it was actually a doctrine. One man, one woman was a doctrine invented when Christianity transferred from being the persecuted religion and faith of the martyrs in the first few centuries to suddenly becoming the great political powerhouse of the Catholic institution from the 4th and 5th century going forward, and suddenly the doctrine changed. It never came from the Bible. And so suddenly it became a reality that for Protestantism and Christians saying they believe in the Bible, then it was a reality. You can't say two, two diametrically opposed concepts. The idea that one man, one woman comes from the Bible and that you believe in the Bible because the Bible does not create the prohibition against polygamy. So it was a continuing the Reformation for me in the beginning in terms of explaining to fellow Christians, hey, if we're going to say that we are sola scriptura Christians, that our doctrine is based on the Bible and not anyone else, then we have to be intellectually honest and recognize that the Bible never forbade polygamy. And then 
that that you suddenly learn that Martin Luther said the same thing, that there is no ban on polygamy in the Bible, and you suddenly realize this is about continuing the Reformation. So in 1994, I started publishing a newspaper in Maine and started, it was a conservative constitutionalist newspaper reporting on the news, but every issue would also have a truth tract which would address scriptures, and it laid down the scriptural proofs that the Bible never forbade polygamy. And so that created momentum, and then the new thing that was a brand, brand new, exciting new thing in the 90s, mid-90s, 95, 96, 97, it was called the Internet. And so it went from the newspaper to the Internet, and suddenly Christians from around the world who are in the same paradigm recognizing the Bible never forbade polygamy, and suddenly you could find, find this truth because I started a website, I created the evidence of the doctrines, all the Christians could see it, and we became a cross-denominational organization called truthbearer.org. By 2005, I was on 700 Club, and they even had to acknowledge us as evangelical Christians, and we weren't a new religion. We were from all different types of denominations, just merely recognizing that the Bible never forbade polygamy. And so for the first time in history, when they recognized us as evangelical Christians, the two words, Christian and polygamy, were no longer a contradiction in terms. And that's what catapulted me to the national stage, because now for the first time in history, somebody could stand on the national stage and not be dismissed as, oh, he's a Mormon, oh, he's a liberal, oh, he's a Muslim, oh, he's lascivious, but could actually raise the arguments that Christians believe and raise the conservative limited government arguments that conservatives raise, and not just raise them, but persuade them too. And that's what has led to me finally becoming the national polygamy advocate for all forms of unrelated consenting adult polygamy. Well, you definitely answered the first part of my second question. Uh, but the second one is, you know, I was going to say your contention uh, from what I could tell comes from two approaches. Uh, one is that you already described that there's nowhere in the Bible uh, that says that polygamy uh, is wrong. Uh, but also uh, you contend that polygamy also falls into the ideal of a smaller government. Uh, tell us more about that. Well, I come from a Tenth Amendment perspective of the U.S. Constitution, and that is that of limited government. The Tenth Amendment especially says that if that the federal government has authority only by that which is specifically defined within the Constitution itself. And if it's not defined within the Constitution, the federal government is prohibited from doing it. Now, that's the definition of authority of power for the federal government in the Tenth Amendment. The Ninth Amendment is exactly the opposite when it comes to the rights of individuals. And that is, the Ninth Amendment says that rights do not have to be codified in the Constitution for individuals to, to still possess those rights. Now, ultimately, marriage is a God-given right of the individuals. Marriage existed before the invention of government. Marriage will exist if government collapses. Government has no authority especially according to the Tenth Amendment, to be licensed, defining, or controlling the contractual arrangements uh, that unrelated consenting adults make. And truthfully, there is no constitutional authority for the federal government at all to be involved in marriage. Now, that brings us to the Tenth Amendment. And here's where some of my fellow conservatives who would be correct in understanding the Tenth Amendment, and they will go to states' rights, but they forget the very last four words of the Tenth Amendment. The last four words of the Tenth Amendment say, or to the people, which means that 
it's not just states. So where my fellow conservatives that do understand the Tenth Amendment but make a mistake end up becoming not federal statists because they say the Tenth Amendment prohibits it, but they become state statists where they say the states get to define everything. But the truth is that's not the way that authority and rights are established in the Constitution. That rights first start with the individuals, then power to the states, and then power to the federal government. All rights and authority and power emerge and emanate from the rights of individuals first, not last. And so the right to marriage is a fundamental liberty right of the individual, and government has no authority to be licensing, defining, or controlling the contractual arrangements of consenting adults. So the government, in the 1800s, when we were distracted by a thing called the Civil War, ended up passing a law in 1862 called the Moreau Anti-Bigamy Act. Now, they knew, they knew themselves that they were forbidden and prohibited by the Tenth Amendment to be involved in marriage, but there was a way around it, and that is they passed the Moreau Anti-Bigamy Act for territories, because you see, in the Article 4, Section 3, Clause 2, there is a jurisdictional management allowance for non-state territories, meaning that anything that is not a state, the federal government has the default managerial jurisdiction. So they can do managerial laws for non-state territories. And that's exactly what the Maril Anti-Bigamy Act was. It was prohibiting polygamy in the territories because they knew they couldn't prohibit it in the states. So that emerged and went through, and finally by 1878, you have the Reynolds case where a citizen from the Utah Territory he couldn't use the Tenth Amendment to say the federal government was prohibited because it wasn't about the Tenth Amendment. They weren't in the state. They weren't banning it in the state. So he had to use a First Amendment freedom of religion defense, and that failed. And thereby, what I, I sort of throw back today as people would talk about the, uh, those liberal activist judges, the liberal activist judges of 1878 concocted a nationwide subterfuge in that Supreme Court decision of Reynolds in that they concocted a affirmation of a law of 1862 that was only about jurisdiction of territories and determined that that set the anti-polygamy precedent nationwide, even though the Tenth Amendment prohibited it. And so what you have here is that today, as we sit here after the Obergefell v. Hodges decision, and conservatives are outraged that we've just redefined marriage to include same-sex marriage, it's not so much a problem of there being a slippery slope from same-sex marriage to polygamy. The truth is same-sex marriage, the fault of that, lies squarely in the face of the OMOWs, the one-man-one-woman supporters, who were the first to use big government to license, define, and control marriage by redefining marriage to exclude polygamy. Anti-polygamy is the slippery slope of big government that got government involved in licensing, defining, and controlling marriage to give special rights only to OMOWs, one man, one woman, OMOW. And that taught them later, a century later, when the same-sex marriage folks come along and learn to use the exact same big government approach. So that's why we've been saying from the beginning that the true solution is what we call the polygamy rights win-win solution. Abolish all big government marriage control for unrelated consenting adults. You heard me call one man, one woman, O-M-O-W, O-M-O-W. And we call same-sex marriage S-S-M. We call polygamy U-C-A-P, Unrelated Consenting Adult Polygamy, U-CAPs. We are U-CAPs. 
And by having unrelated consenting adult polygamy, we are making it clear that we're not talking about incest. We're not talking about children. We're not talking about animals. We're not talking about inanimate objects. We're talking about unrelated consenting adults having their fundamental liberty right to choose, license, define, and control their own contractual arrangements. And that's the solution where conservatives will have true limited justice. Liberals will have true equality for all. Nobody gets to redefine marriage, and nobody gets to impose their redefinitions on anyone else. And that's what the polygamy rights win-win solution to end the marriage control debate is. Abolish all government marriage control for unrelated consenting adults. And back to the religious aspect, uh, and I'm glad you brought up animals. I was reading some comments to some of your videos, and some are saying, oh, I guess you can marry your goat now. Um, but, you know, that's that's not what uh, you're talking about. But back to the religious aspect of it, uh, some would contend that the New Testament, and perhaps uh, some of the panelists, uh, when they come on, uh, they make some mention of this, uh, say that polygamy is considered uh, to be not necessary or now wrong uh, for the times. Uh, especially when they refer to some of the things in the New Testament. What are your thoughts on that? I am more than happy to. It is important to understand the concept of the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is the old covenant in which God's people were under the law. And under the legalism of the law, that if you didn't keep the law perfectly, you could even be stoned to death. And now we come under the new covenant of grace, where we are forgiven and no longer under the legalism of the law. Well, it is not that we are under the law, but by the law we know what is sin. And under the very law itself, under the, New Te the Old Testament law, even the very Old Testament law itself not only allowed polygamy, but actually regulated it. You have Exodus 21.10 that says, If he take him another wife, her food, her raiment, and her duty of marriage shall he not diminish. First Deuteronomy 21.15 says, if a man have two wives, and then goes on to describe how to deal with the children of those two wives. That's in the law, actual ordinances and regulations of polygamy. So now you go from being under the tyranny of the law to now being in the New Testament of under grace. How can you go into the New Testament of being under grace and make the doctrine of marriage more legalistically restrictive in this new time of grace than it ever was when under the restrictive time of being under the law. You can't. You can't make marriage doctrine more legalistically restrictive and be truly under grace. Now you also have to consider that Jesus Christ himself, the sinless Lord Jesus in Matthew 25, 1-13, told a parable of the bridegroom coming to marry five wise virgins of the ten virgins waiting for him. Now it's not a literal marriage, but it is a proverbial marriage. And that is a message that all Christians understand, that we are all going to be needing to make sure that we have oil in our lamps, that we are ready for when he comes, for when the second coming of Christ comes. And that is clearly a polygamous story. Now, let's be clear. The perfect, sinless Lord Jesus would never, ever, ever tell a story in which he describes himself as a hellbound sinner. So clearly, we have the evidence that it is not something that was ever forbidden by the New Testament. Now, what will often happen is, is that Christians will use much the same type of illogic that uh, gun controllers will use in twisting what the words of the Second Amendment say. They will twist the meaning of the words in Matthew 19, and that's a story where the Pharisees ask Jesus, is it okay to divorce for any cause? And he says, no, it's not. 
And he then brings it right back to the way it was, what it was said under the law. And he says, do you not know that, that, that a man shall leave his, his father and wife, his father and mother, and shall be one flesh with his wife? And he, he essentially quotes Genesis 2.24, written by the polygamist Moses. Now, that's not saying that a man can't be one flesh with one wife and one flesh with another and one flesh with yet another. What's, what that's saying is that he should not be divorcing. So clearly what they've done is they've done a twisting propaganda technique of turning a passage that was prohibiting divorce into suggesting that it means you can't have more than one marriage. Polygamy is pro-marriage. It's not about breaking up families. And so they have misapplied that reference. Lastly, they'll also misapply three verses of what's called the one white verses of 1 Timothy 3, verses 2, 12, and Titus 1, 6. And that is simply the husband of one wife. But all those are, are recommendations for bishops, elders, and deacons. And more importantly, the word one wife was not written in English. It was written in Greek. And when you go to look up the Greek words in those passages, the word is not the word one in one wife, as in heis, which is the Greek word. The Greek word is mia, which means first. So really what it's saying is that those bishops, elders, and deacons in those three one wife verses are really first wife verses, meaning that those bishops, elders, and deacons must be the husband of their first wife, again, meaning that they must not be divorced. So they have changed the meaning of an anti-divorce passage to try to suggest a doctrine of polygamy that does not exist when you go to look at what the scriptures actually were in the original languages as they were written. So you take all this together and you realize the New Testament never once called polygamy a sin, never once banned it or prohibited it. Jesus Christ himself described himself in polygamous terms. And then lastly, you have 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 3, where the Apostle Paul writes saying that it is a Holy Ghost himself prophesying that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, forbidding to marry. Meaning in the latter times that believers, believing they believe in themselves, but are instead believing hypocrisy, will be, belief, will be forbidding the marriages of Moses, forbidding the marriage of Israel, forbidding the marriage of David forbidding the polygamous marriages. So even the Bible itself said they would do this one day. So the reality is when you look to the Bible, you cannot say it's for bad polygamy, Old Testament or New Testament. Well, I do find it interesting just that those comments uh, through some of my rating tonight is that, you know, many are saying that, you know, actually, you know, you, you saying that is exactly that and is that, okay, well, this is what's, coming this is the degradation and, and as I posted to you and all my uh listeners here, especially those who uh are continual listeners, know that, you know, we do have a group of panelists. I happen to be the pagan of the group. So I'm not really a Christian, but uh I almost minored in theology in college. Uh, and I've always been, you know, interested in it. Uh but what they're saying is that okay, well and some people believe that there's in the end times and this is actually one of you know the legalization of polygamy. This wasn't one of my set questions. Uh, the legalization uh, of polygamy is actually one of the will be one of the signs of these so called end times. Um, I don't know if you want to make any comments on that, uh, but they're also saying, oh well, you know, they're you know making claims such as you know false prophets, uh, uh, devil's advocate, things of that nature. Uh, what would you say? Well, as I said, this is one of my planned questions. But what what are your comments on that? Well, it's ironic because it's actually. Some pro-polygamists, which I disagree with the specific interpretation of it, 
will interpret Isaiah 4.1, which says that in that day seven women shall lay hold on one man and, you know, well, say, let us, you know, let us be called by thy name, you know, well, we will make wear our own apparel and we will do our own things, which is essentially, if that's a sign of the end times, that's a sign of the apostate churches, uh, and not talking about a literal, uh, physical polygamy of seven wives. But what, you, what it actually refers to is today's apostate churches that say, we're going to say we believe in Christ, and we're going to say we believe in the church, but we're going to make up doctrines like one man, one woman, and believe in ourselves and tell what we want to have. We're going to feed ourselves what we want to believe rather than what the Word of God actually says. And so if anything, it's a prophecy about the apostate churches that want to be called Christian, but don't really want to believe the Bible the way they say they believe it. So it actually would be an indictment against the Omaos, the one man, one woman, but I, I, would, I would not say that it turns into a uh, literal prophecy of saying that when, in the day when some man has seven wives. It, it was too, uh, too much of a, a prophecy of parable than it was of literal. But in any event, uh, it, that's the closest thing that comes to any suggestion that the idea of polygamy in the end times is somehow a sign of the apocalypse. Uh, it's quite the other opposite around. It's First uh, Timothy four one to three showing that in the latter times those wanting to forbid marriages are the ones fulfilling uh, the, the prophecies according to the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, not as opposed to Isaiah four one, which is the Old Testament. So ultimately, that uh, we're, we're not we're not looking for legalization. We're calling for decriminalization. We're calling for government to be constitutionally limited as the Tenth and Ninth Amendment require. Get government out of it. To all my fellow Christians, I would say this. You would be horrified to have the false god of big socialist government to license, define, and control with gospel control, or to have big government baptism control, or to have big government Lord's table control. Thank God forbid, why would you want to abominate the doctrine of marriage with big government marriage control? But not once, no one in the Bible was ever married by government. And this is what's been so frustrating, is that ultimately what the Christian leaders have done is they have, as the Bible talked about, gone the way of Jeroboam, son of Nebash, to lead God's children into the idolatry of worshiping the false god of big government as their so-called savior for marriage, when the truth is the real solution is stop abominating the doctrine of marriage with the false god of big government. Get government out of it, and then nobody can redefine marriage, and nobody can impose their redefinition of marriage on anyone else. That's the true biblical, the true Christian, the true conservative, the true libertarian, the true limited government perspective. Get government out of marriage control. Well, clearly, now, and then later on in the show, I'm going to go uh, through some replies and questions from some of the videos uh, that you've posted. Uh, but first, what we're going to do is I got one last question. I'm going to bring the uh, panelists in that we have. But first, you know, I was actually having a conversation with someone today. It was a, a female, and one of her argue, one of the things she said. Uh, now, one thing I found uh, interesting is, is she's you know, was pro gay marriage, but she has uh, some issues with uh, you know polygamous marriages. Uh, but one of the arguments that uh, she stated. Uh, was that in a polygamous, mar uh, polygamous marriage, the women must be either uneducated or have low self-esteem to, you know, allow themselves to be in that type of marital situation. Uh, are there any statistics uh, that, that you study showing, uh, you know, kind of arguing against 
uh, that state, or is there? Any, do you know if there's any statistics that's been done on that? Well, there are no statistics I, I, because it, it, it's dangerous against the law to uh, to report your family situation. So, uh, from that standpoint, there's not an opportunity for that. But let me let me explain. It's exactly the opposite. That that's nothing more than a stereotypical hyperbole that's not grounded in reality. Because let's understand something. In today's world, women are not stupid. Women are not weak. Women are not feeble-minded. So for any guy who is actually going to be capable of attracting more than one woman to him, he's got to be a good guy and capable of caring and nurturing and actually expanding his husband's skills beyond what any monogamous husband would ever have to do. Because let's understand something. The minute that guy becomes the stereotypical falsehood of, of a chest-pounding egotist dominating all the women, those women will gang up on him. Hello, women are not stupid. They will, <laughs> they will put, today, today's woman is smart and will put a man in his place as fast as they can blink. And here's an example where it actually could be something of value. One woman may want the free choice to be a stay-at-home mom. It's what she wants to do. It's the choice that she would prefer for her life. Another woman might want to actually have a high career, but it's going to require her to do a lot of traveling. The two of them could make a decision together, and they decide that they want to actually be with one good man who's good to both of them. The traveling wife, she knows that her children are being cared for by a woman who loves them. Her husband's not out philandering, and... By those children being cared for by and by the woman who loves those children because it's still family, that's certainly far superior than shipping those children off to low-paid strangers at daycare. Every woman didn't have a choice. This is about women's choice. This is not about men dominating because the truth is this is about women choosing the options for themselves. This is a woman's choice concept. It is not the stereotype of falsehood that it's about the man. It's about the woman. I have to say that's very well said, and we'll um, go ahead and take a few moments, and then we'll bring our panels in. But first, we're going to take a few moments uh, to hear from the Patriot Journalist Network. So we'll hear a little uh, clip from them, and then we'll bring it back uh, to our panelists. And, of course, you can check out the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. Uh, check that out. Uh, that is the Twitter group. Uh, that's doing some uh, great things. And just check uh, out the website they have there. Uh, and then also the hashtag at PJ, hashtag PJNet there on Twitter. So let's go ahead and hear from the Patriot Journalist Network. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at PatriotJournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. And, uh, thank you very much. And definitely check out the Patriot Journalist Network, folks, at www.patriotjournalist.com. PatriotJournalist.com. So what we're going to do is bring in our panelist, Joe, and we call him here our, our campaign strategist, uh, which he'll have some information for us uh, 
tonight. I can't say, you know, a lot on it, but there are some things uh, where he can tell us what he's going to be uh, hopefully working on, at least in generalities. And then uh, we'll have Kelly, who was our constitutional scholar on. But first, Joe, thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Pleasure to be on, Robert. Uh, thank you for having me. How was your vacation? Uh, oh, you know what? It was uh, very nice. Uh, Well-rested. Uh, got to visit the beach uh, about three times, which was nice. Uh, I miss it already. But <laughs> it's almost like you're on another planet, all the white sand and dark sky. It's really cold uh, coming from a Midwesterner uh, as I am. But uh, it, it was relaxful as well needed. I feel uh, so refreshed. I, I do think another week probably would have done me better uh but be that as it may uh i can only go on the time i have allotted but yeah it was nice thank you for asking uh great um it was great to have you back um and um for the guests that you have on the show uh it's a pleasure to have you on um tough subject because um you know it all comes down to uh the social issue that is a hot top uh hot uh, button topic issue um, and the legalities of it are very, very uh, complex, uh, extremely complex, uh, to say the least. Uh, but um, unfortunately, technically, there are no uh, legal uh, precedents or there aren't any legal laws on the books that technically legalize polygamy, uh, not at this current stage in time, uh, but at the same time, um, you know, I don't want to get too much involved into the religion aspect of it because, um, you know, I'm, I don't want to judge. Uh, I don't feel I'm in the place or position to judge um, anyone. I should be the last person to do so. I may have an opinion on a, on a matter, but I'm not going to be here to judge you tonight, sir. Um, you know, that's that's that would not be in my nature. All I can say is, um, you know, if that is what you truly believe in, and if you believe that um, polygamy uh, should be legalized in uh, all 50 states, um, you know, um, I would highly encourage you to um, start a movement and uh, make your case to the American people. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, let the American people, uh, state by state, uh, let the, let the voters uh, put let let that issue be put on a ballot. Let I, at the end of the day, I say, let the majority of the people in their respective states decide if they are for it or they not for it. That's what the electoral process is there for. Let the majority speak, and if the majority in in that specific state says yes, then then it passes. If they say no, then it doesn't pass. But let it play through the system as to. So, are, so can I ask you? Are you a Democrat? No, no, I'm not. I am not a Democrat. You just described a Democrat, be. though. But you just Say described, you just described Democrat. A Democrat yeah, is so. a majority. You said let the people decide to majority vote. That's the very sure. definition of dem- that's the very definition of democracy. I, we're a constitutional republic where you know the, a democracy is two wolves and one sheep voting on what's for dinner. We start with individual rights, then we have majority rules, and then we, in the states, and then we have the federal government. So the Constitution protects the individual mm-hmm. right that even a majority cannot overturn the rights of individuals. So there are, there is a, so to suggest that marriage may be defined by the majorities in the states, 
basically is not a conservative, not a Republican position. It's a Democrat majoritarian collectivist position well, that is, instead of being a federal status, you're being a state status. Actually, that's subject to interpretation, yeah, and I tend to disagree. Actually, most conservatives believe that states' rights is an important issue, and that the federal I, government... I understand that. You're not hearing what I'm saying, guys. One thing... Wait a minute, gentlemen. Okay, this is the host here. Uh, one thing that I see a lot on the, you know different uh, talk shows here, a lot of talk shows, is folks talking over each other. Um, I don't like that. I don't have that here. Uh, so let's have one person... At a time, I definitely know this is a, a very hot topic, very passionate uh, folks about it, and, of course, passionate about themselves. Uh, so we'll, you know, kind of do the, you know, and one of my big jobs here is kind of like a moderator. Uh, and so we'll kind of go back and forth in the discussion. And first, so we'll go ahead, uh, Mark, and then we've had uh, the comments, and we'll bring it back to you, uh, Joe. Uh, you know, make some comments and maybe ask some questions, things of that nature. And then we'll kind of go, you know, back and forth uh, for a while before we bring in Kelly. Uh, so go ahead, Joe, and then we'll go ahead and bring it back to you. Okay, guys? That's that uh, fair to each one of you? Sure. Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, at the, at, at the ahead, same Joe. time, you know, you're, you know, sir, I, I respect your opinion, you know. I mean, you're entitled to your opinion. If you feel that uh, I'm a Democrat, you know, that's your opinion. You have a right. I'm not offended by that in any way, shape, or form. You know, I'm for the First Amendment, you know. I mean, I, at the end of the day, it, it, that's that's an opinion. That's your subject to interpretation, and you have a right. At the end of the day, uh, you know, that's the, our electoral process plays out. And at the end of the day, let, let the people of their respective states uh, decide. Um, just like uh, the legalization of medical marijuana was decided that same way, that's how the, uh, the gay rights movement was initially started. It was started by being legalized, you know, in each state. So at the end of the day, uh, con you know, it, in, in my opinion, um, many conservatives take the stance of giving the rights to the states and letting the people and the constituents let them decide uh, what they think. And, uh, you know, that's just my opinion. If you differ from that, I respect that. That's no problem. But, you know, I, I can't change what the current laws of the books, uh, what they are. And the current laws on the books do not, uh, polygamy is not legal. And I'm sorry that, you know, that unfortunately that's what you want. I, I, I don't control that. The powers that be make the legislation. I don't. So I can't help it that, you know, polygamy is not legalized. But at the same time, I rather the federal government not decide that. I rather, you know, the people of their respective states decide that and vote for that on a referendum. I understand. Yeah, Mark. I understand that many conservatives don't realize how liberal they are. This is not an issue of my opinion any more than saying two plus two equals four. The very definition of Democrat, not opinion, is a majoritarian, a majority rules. Democracy means the vote of the masses. So the very essence of saying that you believe a majority gets to decide, regardless of individual rights, says you believe in being a Democrat. That's not opinion. That's, that's the reality. We also do believe in having political movements, and that's why we're having this discussion before, and this is why I began the movement back in 1994. I'm not looking for the legalization of polygamy. What I'm saying for is that government doesn't have the authority to be licensing, defining, and controlling the contractual arrangements of unrelated consenting adults. So the fact is, is that government got wrongly involved in defining, contracting, 
marriage for only giving liberal special rights to Omaros, one man, one woman, that taught same-sex marriage liberals to also demand the same liberal special rights to give them also special rights. But the truth is there should be no special rights for anyone. There should be no big government in anything. There are certain fundamental things that are individual rights that as individuals, no majority has the right to overturn, even through majority rule. That's the very essence of Republican, which is ruled by law. And a constitutional republic, as we are, says that the Constitution establishes that individuals have certain rights that even a majority, the electoral process, cannot overturn. You cannot overturn the First Amendment, freedom of religion and freedom of speech. The only way to do that is through an amendment to the Constitution, thereby giving federal authority to that. So regardless of what all these people that have pretended to be conservatives out there saying that they believe in being state statists and say, let the people decide. The irony of using that argument is that they use the same liberal redefinition of the people as a term in the Constitution as gun control was due for the Second Amendment. The people in the Constitution, the term, quote, unquote, the people, means the individuals. It does not mean the majoritarian collective. It does not mean the majority of a state. It means the individual. There are certain fundamental individual liberty rights that no majority, no democracy, no Democrat has the ability to get a majority rule to overturn those individual rights. If you don't believe in individual rights, you are not a limited government conservative. And what I'm trying to help my fellow conservatives understand is that they're being liberal, and when you use liberalism to fight liberalism, you get liberalism. So you've got the liberalism of special rights for one man, one woman. You end up with the liberalism of special rights to same-sex marriage. The true limited government conservative solution is to recognize the God-given right to marriage of individuals and get government out of it altogether. It's not about seeking legalization. It's realizing that government has no authority to be involved in the first place. Okay, like I said, I respect your opinion. You know, you have a right to speak how you feel, but sir, I, I can't control that the law and the books don't favor you. You can dispute whether you agree with that or not, or whether it's a constitutional right, but the fact is it's not legal. So I don't know where you're going with your argument. I don't know what, what you know, rather I'm having this conversation. I'm having this conversation for the purpose to overturn those those criminal laws on the basis of true conservative values. If I can't even tell, if I can't even make the argument, you're, you're suggesting I have a right to make the argument, but you're making it fatalistic as if why should I even bother because you can't control the law. Well, I get that, but that's the whole point of having this conversation. That's the whole point of Bard's Bard's Bard reading in the first place. It's to talk but about it and overturn bad big government law. But that's why I say, why not make a movement? This is if you truly feel about that. Create that's why I'm here. Hold on, go ahead, Joe. Gentlemen, we're talking over each other. Let's let's try not to do that. I understand, as I said earlier, you know, we're we're both passionate about it. Um, or, you know, you, you both are. Uh, but definitely, let's go ahead and you know, refrain from you know, talking over each other. Appreciate it. Um, so, what, go go ahead, Joe, and then we'll bring it back to you, Mark. All right. No, I mean, you know, uh, I I just um, like I said, you know, um, you you made a valid point. You know, you are on Bart's. Uh, uh, talk radio, but it's just that you're, you're you're so aggressive. It's like you're coming out so aggressive about the issue when you don't have to. You know, we could all, you know, have different opinions, but you're coming out so aggressive, it makes it hard for anyone to even, you know, want to hear your argument when you're coming out with more anger than more passion. I mean, you know, state your case. 
make your argument, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you want to win people's hearts, if you want to convince people, you got to be charismatic, you got to be persuasive, and you got to be, you know, uh, you got to have a different approach about it if you want to uh, sway public opinion. But by you coming on the show and being all aggressive and upset about it is not going to really help your cause. But if that's the way you choose to go about it, uh, I mean, good luck, you know. I would appreciate, in order to have this conversation, that you not continue to insult me by suggesting I don't have a movement when I've done this since 1994, and to insult me to suggest that I'm somehow being aggressive when it's the laws have their jackboot of big government on my throat. Let's talk about freedom. Instead of trying to put me down and insult me and suggest I'm doing things that I'm not doing, Let's just have an intellectual conversation as conservatives to appeal to the true limited government constitutional perspective that all of us as conservatives say we believe. Then let's believe it and let's approach this without having to insult me because I'm the one who's got the jackboot of big government on his throat. I will agree. And with that, and with that uh, gentlemen, let's go ahead and bring in Kelly. Uh, Kelly is uh, our author here of The Hidden Fourth Branch. And also uh, our resident uh, constitutional scholar. Thank you very much, uh, Kelly, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, I'm doing good. Mark, I can tell that you are either a libertarian or a libertarian thinking. You can try to suggest that, but I am a constitutionalist conservative. I believe in limited okay. government as a conservative. Uh, I, the libertarian argument is the statement that conservatives try to throw at me because they don't want to face the liberalism of their own beliefs. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you're so right in, in several ways. In the county here, the freaking the sheriff, supposedly a conservative, he went left in response. The left went right and right went left in a certain issue here locally in the county. I'm like, there's so much hypocrisy. All I can do is laugh. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. That's fun. Yeah. So, well, I wanted to throw out some things here. I want to start with a joke because everybody knows I joke around a lot here. Um, oh, by the way, here's a geeky joke. Um, Albert Einstein uh, married his voluptuous uh, cousin and thus was the inspiration for the theory of relative titty. Um, uh, hey, it's not Bart's logic after dark yet. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, sorry. Anyway, <clears throat> but you know... Um, Go ahead, Kelly. I, I was married for eight plus years, and I'm so glad the state made us get a license. You know, we were married for eight years and eleven months. You know, without that license, we won't only have been married eight years and ten months. I mean, you know, that license really prevented a divorce. Um, but since then, I've turned lesbian. You know, obviously, I'm a guy. I just like women. I still like women. I like to tease them, be around them, kiss them, touch them. You know, I'm a lesbian. But all right, so Gary Johnson says something really funny. He's like. <clears throat> You know, the gay people, they want to go ahead and marry each other, and they want to be miserable, just as miserable as us heterosexuals that have at it, you know? Um, let's see, Dr. Laura, she was counseling somebody, um, some guy that uh, <clears throat> his wife let him sleep in the guest house. And there was kind of hope, because they were still talking, yet at the same time he had some mistress living with him. And finally, Dr. Laura said, why do you want two women? Isn't one enough? Isn't one enough trouble for a man, you know? Um, but um, anyway, so let's see here. 
and relationships are funny. I haven't had a date in like 10 years and guys and girls call me with all, all their relationship problems and I don't know what the deal is. They dump on me and make me not want to even have a date. I found something interesting in uh, Yahoo. Yahoo, they had, you know, they got these relationship advice, whatever, and this quirky story came up about some Asians. I think they were Japanese, but uh, they were raised together. It was a guy and uh, two twin sisters. And they were just like, you know, playmates as kids, and then they grew up teenagers, and they, they were just like their clique. And one day, the girl's just like, we want to get married. And they all look at him. We'll just call him Mike, you know, Mike, the uh, Japanese guy. And he's put in a position, he's like, um, to be served with you, I'm in love with both of you, and I can't choose. Well, it turned out that he married them both, and they were both, as twin sisters, okay with that. It was the strangest thing. I'm like, I can't fight that. I can't. Look, they're twin sisters. They're lifelong buddies. Mike is their, you know, buddy from, you know, toddler school. I mean, it's like, so the, the three of them got married, and okay, fine. I guess I would have a question, though. I I don't know. If I was married to one woman, I would have a hard problem sharing my wife in the bedroom with even my bestest, bestest guy friend I ever met. I, I just, you know, we got to make the rules equal here. Um, and, of course, under what you're telling me, it's okay for one woman to marry two guys and live together. I, I just naturally, I, I don't, I can't, I just, doesn't mean I'm going to vote that way per se, but I'm just like I I, I just can't do that. I'm I'm a one woman kind of guy, and I hope she's a one man kind of guy because we ain't getting together unless she is. I, I it's just my own personal choice, you know. Eventually, and I I kind of want to ask how you feel about that. Then I want to get into constitutional state and even biblical stuff. But what's what's your inequality, if you will? What's your response to? Uh, you personally marrying a girl who a year later wants to marry a guy, another guy, and the three of you live in bliss or whatever you live in. I have, I will first answer that from the political perspective, and that is that I have, we call for the polygamy rights win win solution that abolish all government marriage control for unrelated consenting adults. If the unrelated consenting adults of a woman and more than one guy want to make an arrangement to each other and they call themselves married, that's called polyandry, the opposite of polygyny, which both are, are variations of polygamy, then government has no authority to be deal, uh, addressing that. You know, the true conservative position is, does not ask the question, you know, what do we allow? The true conservative question is, what is government allowed to disallow? And so from that standpoint, government doesn't have authority to be licensed to find control or to prevent that choice if those two guys and a woman want to make that choice together. Now, that, that's where it is completely. So that's the case. Now, different people will have different personal psychological dynamics or emotional dynamics. And so, for example, in nature, there is a reason why anthropologically and biologically you will see more examples of people choosing polygyny, one man with multiple women, versus polyandry, one woman with multiple men. And it goes to the biology of man as seed and woman as garden. And ultimately, gardens choose the seed because they want to have the best seed for the propagation of the species. And so that's why very often you will find women choose the better men and would rather be 
in a polygamous relationship with one man, then you will see one woman with multiple guys because you've got paternity questions and you also don't have a guarantee of the best choice of the, uh, of the seed of the offspring. So that's why typically you won't see those choices being polyandrous as much as we talk about the egalitarianism of it. Women themselves won't choose that as often as other women will choose polygamy, and that's why polyandry is so far infrequently occurring. But that's not to say if, if people want to do that rare option, government doesn't have the authority to prevent it one way or the other. And then finally, getting to biblically, as a Christian myself, because I am based on the Bible, that's not something that would be my religious belief to do specifically. But politically, it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter what I religiously believe. If, if two want to have a polyandrous, two men and a girl want to have a polyandrous relationship, that's not my business, not my authority to be to be calling as a Democrat for a majoritarian collective to create a majority vote to prevent that. Government doesn't have the authority to be licensed to find and controlling the contractual arrangements of unrelated consenting adults. So whether I would choose or not, it doesn't matter. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you aware of how marriage laws came into being with the, um, in the South, they were trying to prevent whites marrying blacks and blacks marrying yes. whites. That's, that's yes. where it got started. Yes. Yes. Yeah, you're familiar with that, so, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so you could say marriage control is racist. Well, yeah, you can, absolutely. Well, see, what, what license, I come back to this simple theme, what marriage license ever kept the marriage together? It does, like, diddly squat, except for, okay, if they yeah. have divorced, you know, they divide the assets and blah, 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 and whatever. But I, I just, I, what, what license has ever kept a marriage together? Because it's hard. There's no law that can bridle the passion of the human heart, which is, you know, John Adams said that, but it's like, if you love somebody, you love somebody. You're going to be with them for life, you're going to be with them for life. But I exactly the agree. government That's can't why I, do diddly squat. Absolutely. That's why I created the term. The political term marriage control is actually a term that I created uh, about a decade ago. And the right will call it marriage protection. But to call marriage control marriage protection is as ridiculous as calling gun control gun protection. <laughs> or for the left, the left called it marriage equality. But for the left, it's really, it's a Orwellian animal farm kind of equality where some people are less equal than others, whereas people are, can have the arbitrary determinant of now same gender, but now the arbitrary determinant of two-person union still stands that prevents and discriminates, as the language of the left would call it, against the woman who wants to marry an existing married family where the husband and the wife both want her to join the family too, she doesn't get that equality. So the, the truth is it's not marriage equality either. What it really is on both sides is it's about marriage control. And so if you oppose gun control, you should be opposing marriage control. If you believe in limited government, you should not want to have government issuing the state sanctioning of a contractual arrangement of consenting adults. Ultimately, marriage with the government's involvement should be nothing more then at the municipal level, as a repository of the public records of the contractual arrangements that consenting adults make. You know, uh, you got some interesting points there. I could go on with some more observations, but I, I sure, I, I got to throw in another funny here. I hope Dan Gray's <laughs> wife is not listening because she'll be like, Dan, what are you doing listening to this show? <laughs> well, um, actually, I'm, well, actually, I got a message from our uh, panelist, Dan. And unfortunately, he will not be able to make it uh, for us tonight. He's uh, got some things going on. Um, I haven't had a chance to read about it yet 
all of it yet, uh, but he, unfortunately he will not be able to uh, make it to the show. And then Cindy, uh, she's uh, running behind schedule as well, and so we'll uh, hopefully be able to hear from her. I, I really wanted her to come in because uh, I definitely wanted her uh, religious viewpoint uh, on it and hear uh, some of you know our guests' uh, arguments well, and well, uh, I haven't said any religious you know, for yet, so, uh, perspectives. But I, I got to tease Dan Gray because it's like, it's like you know, I'm sure his wife said, uh, no, tonight, honey, you and I, I'll make a real special meal and we'll all put on something sexy. You ain't watching this show. <laughs> you are not participating in this. And, and, and then I'm going to read. I know he's sure to get something going on because, you know, as we know, Dan is uh, very active uh, when it comes to, my gosh, I didn't want to say activism because that would have been redundant, but I end up saying it anyway. Uh, but I do have a, want to go back to something uh, which was a response to one of your videos, Mark, and then we're going to bring it back to you, Joe, um, is what I'm going to read here. It's what your comments, and I'm kind of like the resident uh, philosopher, I guess you could say, of the group. And so I'm going to try to find it unless I just uh, lost it here uh, well, on the page I'm looking at. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and, and scroll down, then we'll, we'll bring it back to you, Mark, once uh, my browser decides to open up. And let's see if I can re refine this here. So bear with me for a moment, folks, while I refine this. There we go. It's uh, from someone, uh, this is a response two years ago, uh, talked about uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 15 and 16. And uh, the person states, nowhere does it state, being married and then being with a harlot makes one flesh. If you even use 1% of your brain, you can tell the only way to become one flesh is in marriage the first and only time. For if God made male for female and female for male, how can a man marry a woman and become one and one and being one separate from that oneness and marry another and claim he is one with both? Well, what would you well respond to that, Mark? The whole First Corinthians chapter six and chapter seven. Chapter seven really is the marriage chapter, and it make, it draws the comparison of saying that we are as believers one spirit in Christ, and so, as we are one spirit in Christ, so are wives and husbands one one spirit in marriage, uh, one flesh. So the one spirit and one flesh are used in parallel relationship to each other. Now certainly Jesus Christ is in polygamous one spirit with all unbelievers. And in the same concept, it's not like Christ can only be in one spirit with one person and nobody else. It doesn't mean he has to sacrifice being in one spirit with one of us and not with another. And so the same thing is the husband can be one flesh with each wife, just like the author of the one flesh verse itself. Let's remember, every time you hear a reference to one flesh anywhere in the Bible, remember, it first comes from and is a requoting of Genesis 2.24, which was written by Moses. And Moses, in the Bible, had not one, but two wives. He was one flesh with each of them. So clearly, that's... And I'm, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish up. Well, I, I, I summed it. It's fine. Go ahead. Okay. Well, you know, I'll just say it's one thing... Uh, you know, that I, I, think, I believe I've, you know, heard years ago, um, and gosh, this much, uh, I really wish Cindy uh, was here because she probably set be able to set me straight if, if I'm wrong. 
is that through my understanding, nuns wear, at least I've seen nuns wear actually like a wedding band. And when you ask about that, of course, we know nuns and Catholicism and uh, priests and Catholicism cannot marry someone. Uh, however, I thought I'd seen where they'd wear a wedding band. It was, I was confused as a child. And so, well, why are they wearing those? And I thought the response was, and, you know, some correct me if they know the answer, uh, is where they would say, well, they're married to God. Well, if that, I mean, I know this may anger some people, and I don't want them to be sacrilegious to anybody or offend anybody, but would that not be in, in some way, shape, or form uh, a polygamous relationship? You exactly make the correct analogy. It, it is ironic because ultimately the one-man-one-woman doctrine, which never came from the Bible, actually did come from the decree of Catholic popes. And, as a, and of course, so when you refer to Catholicism, it is a great irony that, indeed, I've heard that as well. I'm certainly not Catholic. Uh, it is a great irony that nuns consider themselves as married to God, married to Christ, that... Uh, and yet, and yet, still come around and suggest that there is no polygamy. That's you, you've exactly nailed the hypocrisy perfectly. Well, do you know why? Uh, do, do you know why the Catholic Church does certain things? Why is that? <laughs> I, I'm not a fan of the Catholic Church system. There's a lot of really good Catholic folk, you know, love them yep. dearly, but you know what? The Catholic system is not. I'm just not a fan of it. But basically, more parishioners. They want more parishioners so they can, you know, charge for penance and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the reality is, if you think about it practically, with a um, many-century plan, Adam and Steve are not going to be producing very many produ- uh, parishioners. <laughs> it's just, it ain't going to work. <laughs> well, there you is know? that. Yes, there is that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, there's a reason why I got to yeah, let's go ahead and uh, bring Joe back into our conversation, I'll, and I'll make uh, you know so, some comment on that. Something interesting. Gosh, I want to I want to have a scientist on sometime. I heard something interesting now, and then this is kind of a side note uh, and has really nothing to do with uh, their conversation. That, but someone told me that now they've they've discovered a way where two women uh, without any kind of man man without any kind of sperm can actually create a woman from two women or a child through two women. Uh, and the way they're able to do that is take some kind of cells from the bone marrow of one woman and I guess somehow, uh, you know, inject it into an egg or something like that and basically create uh, a fetus that way by using uh, some cells from her, uh, the other woman's bone marrow. So something that bears some uh, some more research on my part. Just It's science and technology and it's something that really interests me, if that's even something uh, that's plausible. And I, I would love to have a show on cloning one day. I think that'd be interesting as well, just for the scientific and, you know, religious uh, and immoral implications on that, on the whole cloning thing. It's, a, it's something that fascinates me as well. But anyway, I don't want to digress too far as uh, the folks here know that sometimes I can do. So let's go ahead and <laughs> bring it back uh, to you, Joe, if uh, there's any other comments or questions that uh, you'd like to bring up. And then we'll, of course, bring it uh, over to you, Mark, and then to you, Kelly, and then I'll see uh, what other things I would like to uh, impart on uh, the discussion. So go ahead, Joe. Uh, yes, uh, listen, sir. I, I didn't. Um, I didn't um, mean to offend you in any way, shape, or form. If you thought I offended you, my sincerest, deepest apologies. You know, um, um, that's not my intention. 
uh, you know, truth be told, I really don't care, you know, how many people you choose to marry. That's your problem, you know. That's that's not an issue that I'm involved with. So, you know, I mean, as a matter of fact, uh, a few weeks ago, you know, Robert was talking about bringing you on. If anything, I, I told him I thought it was a good idea. So uh, maybe we got off on the wrong track, uh, but I just want you to know I didn't uh, mean to offend you in any way, shape, or form. So if you thought I did, I, I do apologize. That's uh, that's not the type of person I am. Hope you accept that apology. And um, Thank you uh, for Robert, that, Curtis. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I mean, you know, um, I know that, um, you know, this is an issue that does face a lot of scrutiny. Uh, and I know that you must be under a lot of scrutiny, and that's a lot of pressure. And, um, you know, I believe that a person needs to fight for what they believe in. And, uh, you know, many people um, have a misconception about that. Many people want the double standard of, yeah, you can fight for what you believe in if that's what we believe in or if that's what I agree. <laughs> and that's where I have to call people out and tell them, hey, yeah. you can't have it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it. You know, you can't right. decide yep. what to cherry pick. But I do commend people who fight for what they truly believe in. And if that is what you truly believe in, you have every right afforded by the Constitution to fight for it. Um, you know, and I tell that to people all the time, whether they're a liberal, a conservative, uh, um, you know, whether they are libertarian, whatever they want to, you know, associate themselves as. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You know, you, you know, what makes this country great is you have the right to fight for what you believe in. And one should fight for their convictions and their principles, even if maybe it, it, it it's it's not the popular thing, because at the end of the day, fighting for what you believe in never should come down to whether it's popular or whether uh, people, most people are on board with it, because then then you're not truly a principle, a person of principle, if that's the way you're going to go about it. Fighting for what you believe in and your principles is what you fight because you believe in it. Whether 100 people are with you or 10 people are with you, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. And so I respect your right to be here. Um, uh, I, I told Robert I thought it would be a, a great idea because I don't feel anyone should have to be censored because maybe it's not uh, a popular opinion. I think that is the problem in this country. You know, it seems, right, Robert, everything is politically incorrect. It seems like you can't say anything anymore <laughs> without someone twisting That's it into true. something that it's not to be. You know, it's like, darn if you do, darn if you don't. You know, and it's like, come on, you know, what happened to... You know the uh, what our you know what our founding fathers wanted when they created uh, a wonderful Constitution Bill of Rights is for us to have the right to fight and die for our beliefs, just like we did in fighting the Revolutionary War. We fought for our beliefs. We did not want to um, be mandated to be Protestants under British rule and tyranny, and so we fought for our belief. And truth be told. You know, uh, millions of, uh, of British people must have thought the colonists were crazy. They must have been saying, oh, look at these crazy, you know, 13 colony states or, or whatever. You know, these 13 colonies, they're crazy to fight against this. I and, mean, you know, why can't they be on board with uh, being Protestant? You know, they probably looked at us back then and, and said, geez, these people are kind of weird. You know, what's what's their problem? Mm -hmm. I mean, I was one of the, you know, a lot of people don't know that was uh, one of the big, uh, big parts of um why we also wanted independence is that we wanted the religious freedom. 
And of yeah. course, the uh, English were not for that. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, like I said, you know, I, I told Robert this, I think when we were talking about the legalization of gay rights, uh, it doesn't bother me and it's not my business who decides to marry who and who decides to sleep with who. You know, that's not my problem. I don't care to know. You know, if someone wants to tell me, that's fine. I'd rather not hear the details. But at the end of the day, you know, um, I honestly think that um, it's a personal social issue. A lot of people are, are going to disagree with it. It's not a popular one. But at the end of the day, uh, people may get upset with me for saying this, but don't give up in fighting for what you truly believe in at the end of the day. If this is what you truly believe in, and you believe it with all your heart and all your soul, and you are willing to put your life on the line for it, you know, give me liberty or give me death. Well, that is how our founding fathers created this country. And so Amen. you are living the American spirit. So I'm all for it. Believe me, I'm the last person to want to censor anyone just because my beliefs may differ from them. That's a tactic that many people these days commonly want to use when it benefits them the most. And I hate when they like to cherry pick what they think is acceptable and what they deem is not. And I say, unless you're God or you're the judge, jury, and executioner, a lot of people like to play that role. So I'm not one to judge. And, you know, sir, I, I, I respectfully respect your position and your view. And um, I do think that you are doing the right thing by fighting for what you believe in. And at the end of the day, that's what matters, is that you believe in this. This is your principle. Well, uh, this is your heart. This is, and you got to go with that. And of course, uh, one of the things government would, uh, wouldn't like or would like more is for, of course, us to uh, be divided. <laughs> for you know, for the people to be divided, definitely, uh, you know, breaking us uh, apart as we, the people, and uh, or the grassroots, as I like to put it. Um, in order to keep them, you know, in power and as one of the, I think, topics that's coming up tonight, uh, control of us. And I, I got a quick question for you, and then we'll go ahead and bring it back uh, to you, Kelly, is uh, so what is going to be your strategy uh, moving forward uh, since the Supreme Court decision on legalizing gay marriage? Now, I know you want them to, to, to just stay out and not make it, you know, a federal, like federally legalized uh, polygamy. But uh, the, uh, I guess, uh, the illegalizer or whatever term you use, uh, what, what is going to be your strategy uh, moving forward uh, for your aims? I have been saying to my fellow conservatives for the last 20 years that they were using liberalism to fight liberalism and liberalism was going to win. And when you use big government to fight big government, you get big government. And what I have been saying is, is I am offering the faith-saving answer for conservatives, for Republicans, that will actually bring aboard Democrats and could even create Reagan Democrats, if you will. That will be a solution that would be unifying of, of the country. And that is the polygamy rights win-win solution. Because here, here's what the three options the Republican Party or the conservatives, whichever you want to say, now have as a consequence of Obergefell v. Hodges from the Supreme, Court, the Supreme Court decision on June 26th. They have three options left. They can either just roll over and die. That's one. Basically, 
okay, fine, they just get totally accept same-sex marriage forever and ever and ever, never fight it, never, nothing, never. You just die on it. Or two, they can continue to be big government liberals, like surprisingly even Ted Cruz, in, in trying to call for yet another failed attempt to have a marriage amendment to the Constitution. And there's just no way you're going to get 37 states to ratify that. So that's just going to be another failed attempt to use big government to fight big government. That's, that's the second option, to try to basically constitutionalize an amendment where it's never going to happen. Or three, they can come back to the limited government roots of conservatism and embrace the solution that I have been proposing for 20 years that allows conservatives to be able to get a win out of this instead of a lose or a loss out of this. Because they, right now they're facing a loss because of Obergefell v. Hodges. They can actually get a win out of this and get a win in such a way that the other side can also get a win because they're still having their equality for all also. So that America can actually thank the Republicans for this conservative, limited government solution. Abolish all government marriage control for consenting adults. So I have long said the left, the left is easy when it comes to the strategy for polygamists. Because the, the tolerance dogma, the dogma of tolerance, and the, the doctrine of equality for all automatically obligates the left to tolerate an equality for all for unrelated consenting adults choosing whatever marriage they want. So uh, as long as we're talking about unrelated consenting adults. So you don't have issues of incest, don't have issues of animals, don't have issues of inanimate objects, and all the other silliness that people that don't have intelligence try to use with arguments. So... What you're talking about is unrelated consenting adults. The left is easy. The right, it's really it's like it's the first floor of a house of cards, and that all you got to do is push up the first floor, and the whole house of cards comes crashing down. And that's always been my strategy when it comes to that. The first floor of the cards is my fellow conservative Christians. I help my fellow Christians see that the Bible never used government for marriage at all. You should be, every Christian should see government marriage control as idolatry. You're asking the false god of big socialist government to control your doctrine. How, God forbid you would ever want that. That's an abomination to your religion as a believer in Christ. The government should, was never involved in marriage according to the Bible. So what that does is that allows conservatives to actually get a win. So what do the Republicans have, have three options? They can either roll over and die. They can continue on their failed agenda to use big government against big government by trying to have a constitutional amendment that's going to fail or they can embrace this limited government solution and regain their respect, regain their same face again, and actually have a win that America will thank them for. And everybody wins. You have finally everybody is free. Nobody gets to have the ability to use government to impose upon someone else. That is the true limited government, constitution-based conservative solution. So that's my strategy is to continue to get that message out to my fellow conservatives the two, hey, do you want to save face or do you just want to keep on being a loser? Being a loser by using big government when you say you're against big government. Or it's just roll over and die because you use big government and fail. Bottom line is, here's a chance to save face. Abolish all government marriage control for unrelated consenting adults. Okay, folks, and uh, if you'd like to chime in, give us a call at 347-945-7428. Or if you just like to uh, listen in on the line, uh, and maybe chime in later. Give us a call at that number, 347-945-7428. If you are on the line, and I do see there are some, uh, if you'd like to uh, chime in, just push the one on your number dial, or I may uh, come into the call and see if you'd like to chime in as well. But just push that one on the number dial. We're going to bring it over to you, Kelly, 
soon, but I do have a, okay, I do see Kelly. I'm going to uh, uh, bring someone in here, and uh, and then I'll get a, after a question I have here. Uh, one is, were you recently on a, a talk show in Cincinnati, Ohio, Mark? I was. Yeah. Okay, I believe I heard you on. I believe I heard you on the radio, at least the end part of the uh, of the conversation of of the interview on my way to work. I believe uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember who the the gentleman was that you talked with. Um, I know it will come to me later. Uh, but one of the things he mentioned, uh, this was after you got off uh, the show off the air, uh, you know, with, through the interview. He mentioned that he said that he doesn't think that there would be, you know, and I'm like thinking to quote him and this is just through my memory that there would there's actually enough people out there uh who are interested in the uh polygamy issue or, or or topic in order to create a movement that would be needed in order to move the courts or uh move the legislature to you know either fight for it or back you up or show any kind of support like some of the politicians have done uh for the uh the gay marriage uh decision by the supreme court uh, what are your thoughts on, on that statement? Um, and if you can remember who that was, I'd, I'd appreciate you telling me. But uh, um, I'm trying to remember who the who, who the guy was, but I, I can't at this time. But anyway, more importantly, uh, what's your thoughts on that comment? Well, I've, I've been I'm doing a number of things. Well, I'm not going to remember names at this point. <laughs> so, uh, which station, who is that which? <laughs> Sorry about that, just too many of them. Um, no, that's what, you the, talk to uh, so many folks, I understand. Yeah. Uh, so um, the it is true. I am not I, even polygamists would not suggest that everybody should be one by any stretch of the imagination. Would I? I would not recommend that. Uh, you really got to be someone who really cares about it. I use the example that uh, you first, like in mathematics, first you have to learn how to add. Then you have to learn. Then you learn how to multiply and divide. Then you learn how to do algebra. Then geometry. Then trigonometry. Then calculus. Uh, but the person who gets to the calculus level, and you've got someone else who only gets to multiplication. The person who gets to multiplication level, suggesting that calculus is impossible, is just irrational. It doesn't even make sense. Just because they don't understand and haven't gotten to that level of of that skill level, or say a basketball player who plays every once a week compares himself and says it's impossible to be a Michael Jordan, you know, different people have different skill levels, and husbandhood is a skill level. And so just because someone might see themselves as only capable of husbandhood at one level, or maybe a one-man, one-woman, doesn't mean it's impossible for others that may be more dedicated and committed as a skill level. Uh, as um, Dr. Joyce Brothers said in 1994, she said she would rather be the third wife of a good man than the only wife of a jerk. So with that said, my strategy does recognize that we cannot and we're not going to just get everybody to suddenly say they want to be a polygamist nor do we want to recommend that instead what i'm doing is i am trying to help my fellow conservatives to stop being liberal and that essentially to remind them that the reason why they lost is they use big government to fight big government and that's why big government won and so that by my reminding them of this i am showing my fellow conservatives you have three options one, roll over and die. Two, continue the failed loss of being the foolishness of trying to go after a big government socialist marriage control amendment to the Constitution. And it's only going to fail again because you're never going to get 37 states to ratify that. That's just not going to happen. And then finally, 
the third option is the only option, and it will win, and it's based on our values. I'm not trying to ask you to contradict your values. I'm asking you to come back to your values, come back to limited government. And so by doing that, I then hope to create a groundswell and an incentive for politicians to then be initiating laws to get government out of marriage control altogether. And the more and more we see that, that's what will lead to the solution, and everybody will be thankful for, to polygamists for the polygamy rights win solution, which is to finally have legislation in place to repeal all marriage control for unrelated consenting adults. And that is something that, that we can generate. Good. But that's, that's that, and that is an agenda that can generate interest even beyond the issue of polygamy. Awesome. Well said. So we're going to go ahead and bring Ed on the line, uh, and then we'll go ahead and bring it back to you, Kelly. And then you, Joe, as we uh, bring things back around, and I'm sure I'll have some uh, other comments. Thank you very much, Ed, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? All right, man. Yeah, I just got back from a Libertarian meeting, and uh, the Libertarian stand, of course, uh, Alabama's actually trying to bring it through right now. Their Senate has passed a bill to outlaw um, or, or to get rid of marriage licensing. Yeah. Uh, our, our founding fathers founded us on a limited government. We were supposed to be limited government. We don't need to be licensed for everything, and especially marriage. Marriage should not be licensed. We should separate marriage from the state, and that's the proper channel we need to take. We need to call up your, although I'm from Florida, I'm still going to call up ML at Bavin Senators and keep pushing this issue because you can really make some changes in this country if you get one state, that's a, it'll go. That's the beauty of letting fifty states decide instead of one DC ruling. And you know, I get a postcard going out from, uh, in Florida right now. It says, uh, "Should the fifty states decide or one DC ruling?" You know, and that's what states' rights was founded upon. And that's what you know what our founders intended that we have our own you know rule in our own area. And, you know, basically the righteous ruling would be that the state should not be involved in marriage licensing at all. And if we can get away from that, then we don't have to worry about it. I mean, you can, you know, write up any contract and be married any way you want. Your conscience is yours. It gets back to the First Amendment and freedom of conscience. Amen. I, I am well aware of the, uh, the Louisiana recently doing this about uh, back in May. Uh, that starting that process and certainly would be a good thing. The only clarity that I would make is that I believe the Obergefell v. Hodges decision was half right and half wrong. It was absolutely wrong in requiring all 50 states to be licensing something it doesn't want to license. That's absolutely unconstitutional and, and was an absolute leap. But it was also half right in that it recognized that marriage is a fundamental right, liberty right. And the issue then becomes, there is an appropriate role for the Supreme Court to be protecting the rights of individuals, even from the majoritarian collectives of the states. There, there is a difference between the Tenth Amendment of states' rights and the last four words of the Tenth Amendment, which says, or to the people, and that there are still rights that even the states can't touch. The states can't touch your freedom of religion and can't touch your freedom of assembly, which ultimately that's what marriage is. It's a freedom of assembly, to assemble yourselves a certain way. So there are certain fundamental individual liberty rights that 
it is appropriate for the U.S. Supreme Court to have decisions that protect the individual liberty right from both the federal authority and the state authority, and that the Tenth Amendment is not omnipotent in its giving states' rights, because it even limits those states' rights with the last four words it says, or to the people, meaning that the states cannot circumvent what first comes as the individual liberty rights of individuals. So in that regard, I would say Obergefellity Hodges was correct in recognizing that marriage is a fundamental liberty right, but then it crossed the line in creating an arbitrary determinant of saying marriage must only be a two-person union by changing the previous arbitrary determinant of gender, and now it's removed that, and thereby forcing states to have to give licenses. Instead of forcing states to have to give licenses, what it should have done is recognize all individuals in every state have the individual liberty right to marriage, and no states have the right to license it. That's what the decision should have done. But it didn't. And, I, and I've got a question for you, Mark. It'll be a, a, a quick one. And maybe me twofold. Are you... Uh, you know, surprised or maybe even, and you don't have to answer this, uh, but are you, are you surprised or maybe even disappointed that, you know, homosexual marriage or the legalization of it, or, you know, the, the uh, illegalization of it, uh, does it, you know, surprise or disappoint you that that was more accepted, uh, it seems in society. And we all know here that, you know, it said that society is based on the family and the family is the foundational structure of society. And some, you know, think that, well, you know, if that foundation starts to uh, diverge, so will the foundation and the society eventually will crumble. Uh, that some of the people who uh, were against uh, gay marriage or maybe even polygamy, um, one of their arguments. But, uh, you know, so as I said, are you disappointed or surprised that you know, homosexual marriage is more, at least in society, seemingly uh, more acceptable to uh, the American society than polygamy is at this time? Well, I wouldn't say that in Robert's dissent in Berta Faldi Hodges' case, he did point out that the jump to accept polygamy has more of a historical basis than this manufactured brand new modern legal construct that never existed before in history called same-sex marriage. And so if you're going to make the, the much bigger jump to things that marriage, how can you make that bigger jump and not make the tiny little jump back to also accepting polygamy? So Robert's defense in that regard was very accurate and, and correct. So it, it, I see it as nothing more than uh, the very identical bigotry that they claim to be overcoming with the case in that they previously called the defining element of gender that used to be the determinant for marriage, they, they used to identify that as, and they said, oh, but that's just a bigoted, arbitrary determinant to limit marriage based on opposite genders. That's just an arbitrary determinant, they would say. Well, now they've done the same thing, and instead now gender is no longer a limitation. They've, they've stripped that arbitrary determinant, but they've still kept an arbitrary determinant, the arbitrary determinant of the number two that now it's only a two-person union, regardless of gender. But that's every bit as arbitrary a determinant as the arbitrary determinant of gender is. And so ultimately, it's nothing more than a hypocrisy to accept one and not the other, and especially given the fact that 
Anthropologically, historically, and biblically, the definition of marriage has always included polygamy, but it has never included this modern legal invention called same-sex marriage. So to have jumped to a modern invention that never existed before and not have that is definitely a great hypocrisy. I do believe, however, that it does demonstrate both why the left has to continue to embrace the solution for uh, acknowledging unrelated consenting adult polygamous UCATs, but at the same time, it's also, and I believe it was just enough impetus for my fellow conservatives to stop being liberal and listen to Mark Hankel. Mark Hankel has the answer. Abolish all big government marriage control for unrelated consenting adults, and you can be conservative, and you can save face, and you can be a free country again. <laughs> So there you go. Actually, finally, uh, finally, and I'm glad to see that Cindy is on the line. She cannot chime in yet, uh, but I'm definitely know that she's going to have uh, some things to say and some questions. And I, you know, Cindy, I know you're out there, uh, and I hope you listen to uh, the uh, archive of the show for the first uh, hour and a half. I think you'll find some uh, really surprising comments uh, from our guests. And uh, Ed, as you know, well, we are going to keep you on the line. Uh, to stay and be a part of our roundtable discussion tonight, as we do here on uh, Bard's Logic and Political Talk. And one of the things uh, for the folks who are new here listening to the show, once someone does call in, uh, unlike other talk shows, we don't just keep you on for, you know, five minutes or so and say, well, thanks for calling in. Uh, have a good night. Uh, please listen to the rest of the show. Uh, you are welcome to stay with us, as I said to Ed and uh, join our roundtable discussion. And I will try to bring uh, the conversation back to our audience callers as much as I can as well, try to keep equal time uh, with everything. That is definitely something I strive to do. Not always successful, but I do strive to do that to, to keep us all together because this is the grassroots We the People show, and this is your show. It's not necessarily mine, even though I'm the host, uh, but this is about you, the people. And so definitely we want to keep uh, our audience people on the line to be able to share in the conversation with us. So what I'm going to do here is since Cindy is uh, not ready, let's go ahead and bring it back to you, uh, Kelly, and then we're going to bring it to you, Ed, and then we're going to bring it back to Joe. And then by this time, uh, hopefully Cindy will be ready. And then, of course, Mark, uh, since you are our guest this evening, if there's anything uh, you'd like to chime in to, uh, with uh, throughout the conversations with our, our different folks here, of course, we will bring it back uh, to you in between uh, our different folks here. So let's go ahead and bring it over to you, Kelly. And then, of course, Mark will respond and we'll go uh, over through the roundtable that way. So go ahead, Kelly. Well, Mark, in so many ways, you've got several things um, I agree with, which, number one, federal government has no business in, in social issues. They have no business in this. And wait a minute, wait, wait. Now, the founding fathers, they could have put in the Constitution no gay marriage, no abortion, no this, no that, no blah, 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 blah. Church, require, church attendance is required. They could have put that in the Constitution. They didn't. Now, why did they not do this? Because they knew the states would deal with the social issues. It's fundamental to the thinking of our country, the development of our country, is that, okay, you got 13 colonies, which became states. We just celebrated Independence Day on July 4th when the colonies became states by declaration. And they already had all their different laws and it varied between state to state. And so we have a state's rights issue and only Justice Alito got it right with the recent gay marriage. What's well, a state's rights issue? But what happened here, this is a travesty in America, 
once the federal government got involved in such an intimate personal choice, it opened the door for the federal government to grow to infinity because we all in our social lives and our personal lives and our everyday decisions, we have infinite choices. And now the federal government is entering in and it's frightening. Mm -hmm. So Mark gets that. And the way it was done in the 1800s, you wanted to get married, the state wasn't even involved. Mm -hmm. You just go to your local congregation and you have witnesses and you're married and it's done. I mean, no state license, no nothing, nothing, nothing. Done. And the country did pretty well for, I don't know how many centuries, starting from the 1600s, which came from England, which has had a few more centuries to that. So, you know, we didn't need this marriage license thing. So if, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go bold here, and some people are going to be surprised, but, you know, me as um, a one-woman man, if Utah wants to go ahead and pass uh, polygamy laws, and, you know, a guy can marry as many wives as he wants, you know what? That's Utah. I don't live there. I'm not going to get codependent and dysfunctional and tell Utah what to do to the federal government. This is like, I, Mark, are you with me here on this? With states' rights? I actually would go one step further, but I'll wait till you finish, and I'll, I'll add my clarification. Or do you want me to clarify now? Do you want me to clarify now? I mean, are you are you on board with the simple fact that if Utah, as a state, with the social issues, if they want to have pass polygamy laws, you know what? That's your choice as a sovereign state. You go right ahead. I'm not going to use the federal government to reach into Utah and tell you guys what to do because I'm violating your sovereignty, which is the highest form of liberty. Well, actually, I'd go one step further, and as I believe the individual sovereignty is above the state sovereignty, and that's where I say that I, 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 I am an absolute Tenth Amendment advocate, absolutely fundamentalist. But the last four words are usually forgotten by most of my fellow conservatives when they say they want states' rights when it comes to marriage. The last four words of the Tenth Amendment say, or to the people, and that there are certain fundamental individual liberty rights that even a majoritarian collective in a state does not have the authority to be overturning the individual liberty rights of individuals. So I agree that the federal government should not be telling uh, one state what it can do. Like, for example, it's wrong for the Supreme Court to be saying that, you, that a state has to create a marriage license against its will. I'm saying the other way, it should actually be the other way. It is appropriate for the U.S. Supreme Court to acknowledge the sovereignty of the individual liberty above the state and saying that the state doesn't have the authority to be even giving those licenses in the first place. So it's not about saying the government can't let, you know, uh, can't tell Utah to uh, give other licenses, because I agree, it should not be telling it. But it's also, I'm not a state statist, and the Tenth Amendment doesn't authorize state statism, that states have the ability to go willy-nilly over the fundamental individual liberty rights of the individuals as well. And that's the purpose of the Supreme Court's legitimate basis in protecting individual liberty, even when states have gone amok. So there is not an absolute sovereignty of the states, even in the Tenth Amendment, because of the last four words in the Tenth Amendment. That's my clarification. Yeah, well, the, the rights not delegated to the federal government are retained by the states and the people. Or so to the people. Exactly, exactly. My, right, exactly. My point is this, is that very often my fellow conservatives 
will fight the Tenth Amendment, and they're almost correct, but then they turn into liberal state statists. They're anti-federal statists, but now they're state statists instead. And state statism is just another variation of big government liberalism. You're just transferring which statism you're, you're embracing. You first start with the fundamental individual liberty right of the individual. Then you have the authority of the states. So you are correct, and I agree with you, and I'm on the same page with you in acknowledging that it is not appropriate for the Supreme Court to have told any state it has to give licenses against their majority will. I'm with you on that. I agree. What I am right. saying it is, I, I, it, is right. it would be appropriate for the, the, but it is also not appropriate for the states to even be issuing those licenses in the first place because they are in contradiction of the fundamental individual liberty rights of individuals in the first place. So that's what the Supreme Court could tell states you're not even allowed to give those licenses because you're infringing on the individual liberty rights of all citizens. And so that would have been an appropriate use of the Supreme Court had they done that. It's not what they did. But that's why I believe Obergefell v. Hodges was half right but half wrong. Right. Well, in, in my view, Alito, <clears throat> Alito at the federal level, okay, I want to make this clear, at the federal level, Alito is the only one who got it right. It's a state's rights issue, and then people can battle it out. I think it's absolutely inappropriate for, say, Missouri to go pro-life and then force California through the federal government to be pro-life. I think it's inappropriate for Massachusetts to say gay marriage, go through the federal government, and tell Texas to bend over and take gay marriage. I think that's inappropriate in our government system. I do. I agree. But what I am saying, what I'm saying, however, is that even at the state level, they don't have the authority to be infringing the fundamental individual liberty rights to choose marriage in the first place, in which we yeah. you started off agreeing with me in the first place. So I'm on, I'm on the same page with you on both of those issues, but I just want to be very clear that it is important that we not cross that line of liberalism into being state statists, in which we then say it's okay for the state to infringe the, the fundamental right of liberty of an individual to choose their marriage. Because that's not right. correct, right? and I won't agree with that. Right, okay. We're very close. We're very close. Yeah. 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 Yeah
the strong federal government is own, they own the media, they own the money supply, they own the Republican Party, they own the Democratic Party, and they want to put out whatever they want to put out, and they're going to tell it to the people and, and the masses in their simplicity are going to be easily led by the big lie. So it's up to us to try to educate the populace, as Ben Franklin said, and bring about the cornerstone liberty. And to do that, we have to go out there and be Bill Rights activists, because the Bill of Rights is what the Anti-Federalists gave us. It is our ultimate shield to protect us from these idiots up in Washington, D.C. And, and in trying to think that we're going to get a Republican or a Democrat to make a difference up there, forget about it. There's 535 of them, and about 528 of them are very beholden to the IRS and to the big government uh, propaganda that gay marriage is a wonderful thing, and aren't we lucky that the Supreme Court gave it to us? And, and, and real quick, uh, Ed, and then we'll give uh, Mark some more time to respond, is uh, since you did call in, I do got uh, the number here, and I certainly would like to uh, have a small discussion with you off air at some point, if that's okay with you. Yeah, that's fine, man. I'm here to educate. Awesome. That's what the founders do. I know the founders inside and out better than anybody. They're my friends. They're my best friends. But uh, yeah, definitely, I'll, uh, I'll I'll give you a call because I definitely like to uh, have a little discussion uh, with you on something uh, that we could talk about uh, off air. Okay. All right, man. Cool. Awesome. And so let's go ahead and uh, if you have any comments on what Ed said uh, there, Mark, and then we're going to go ahead and bring it back to you, Joe. And then uh, by that time, I'm going to see if uh, Cindy is ready for us, and if she's not, uh, perhaps I'll have uh, some questions or comments of my own. But if uh, not, uh, we'll go ahead and bring it back. Uh, to you, Kelly. So, Mark, if you got any comments uh, you'd like to make to uh, respond to Ed, uh, that'd be great. And then we'll uh, bring you back in, Joe. Right. I'm good. Over to you, Mark. Oh, me? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Um, well, I, I agree that we have a federal monster, and I, I've used the phrase uh, Republicrats and Democrats. So that it, it, it does seem that it's just a matter of one big government versus another big government party, that um, both parties are are not not promoting what uh, uh, the original founding of our government was supposed to be, and that uh, as a constitutionalist republic, I Republican uh, as a conservative, I have been very frustrated with my fellow conservatives that every time I hear them using state-statism, misinterpreting the Tenth Amendment as a state-statism argument, or, or applying big government liberalism of special rights for one man, one woman. Uh, and you know, it's ironic, because you know, when I began this movement back in 1994, you know, the, big, the big debate of that era, of the 90s, was the anti-discrimination laws that were, were in place. And in that, at that time, my fellow conservatives, the big argument was no special rights, no special rights, no special rights, over and over. That was the mantra of conservatism against the anti-discrimination laws to give no special rights to those who are homosexual behavior to the individuals. And so it was a matter of saying no special rights. That was the, the mantra. And now here we are talking about same-sex marriage and what they want. They want special rights for one man, one woman. It's Omao. It's Omao special rights. And I kept saying to them, this is going to backfire. You keep using big government, you're going to get more big government. The solution is abolish all big government marriage control, finally consenting adults. And I've been saying this for 20 years. 
exactly presciently, Alberta Family Hodges has made it come to pass, and now same-sex marriage has been legalized here as well. It's their fault, and now if they want to save face and be able to finally come back to their home values, come back and save face, embrace the solution. Abolish all big government marriage controls for unrelated consenting adults, and then limited government wins, conservatives win, as well as America sees everyone wins because even liberals get to win with equality for all. Nobody gets to impose their definition on anybody else. That is the government that our founders created with a constitutional republic where individuals first have their liberty rights, then states have sovereignty, and then the federal government has whatever left is left specifically codified in the Constitution. Awesome. And Joe, let's go ahead and uh, bring you in, and then we'll uh, bring it back uh, to yourself, Kelly, unless we have, I get my message from Cindy saying that she's ready to uh, chime in. Go ahead, Joe. Uh, Yeah, you know, um, in my opinion, um, in many landmark decisions, the Supreme Court uh, hasn't always uh, gotten it right. Perfect example would be the Dred Scott versus Sanford in 1857. Uh, which uh, decided where the Supreme Court ruled that uh, Americans of African descent, whether free or slave, were not American citizens and could not sue in federal court. And the court also ruled that Congress lacked power to ban slavery in the U.S. territories. Uh, An interesting research I did prior to the show was uh, the first case that was taken to the Supreme Court on polygamy was Reynolds versus United States in 1878. And uh, the main question uh, in that argument, um, George Reynolds, who was a secretary to a Mormon church, um, who was a leader, uh, he challenged the federal anti-bigamy statute, and uh, he was convicted in uh, Utah Territorial District uh, Court. His conviction was affirmed by the Utah Territorial Supreme Court. And the question was, does the federal anti-bigamy statute violate the First Amendment's free exercise clause because plural marriage is a part of religious practice. And the conclusion was that Chief Justice Morrison, uh, writing for unanimous court, he held that the statute can punish criminal activity without regard to religious belief. The First Amendment protected religious belief, but it did not protect religious practices that were judged to be criminal, such as bigamy. And those who practice polygamy could not be exempt from the law than those who wish to practice human sacrifices as part of their religious belief. So, uh, you know, the Supreme Court... Yeah, I can see the connection. No. (laughs) Go ahead, Joe. That was just a comment I thought I'd throw in there. No, no, no. That's all right. Uh, What I'm trying to say is, you know, a lot of people have this misconception that the Supreme Court is this, uh, you know, mighty powerful of nine... Uh, supreme beings that always gets it right. And in many cases that I've studied, many landmark decisions that were overturned or later ruled as uh, inappropriate or not um, not too popular, I mean, those are just two um, classic landmark cases. The people, for, for those who say, well, the Supreme Court, you know, always gets it right, well, they don't. And, and with all due respect, I, 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 you know, with the Reynolds versus United States decision, I kind of think Chief Justice Morrison, uh, I think the, the, the decision was contradictory, it was very, uh, was, was kind of, um, it was definitely contradicting, you know, when he says that uh, when, the, when the question was, 
does the anti-bigamy statute violate the First Amendment's free exercise clause? And then he goes on to state, uh, well, you know, he held that the statute can punish criminal activity without regard to religious belief. The First Amendment protected religious religious belief, but it did not protect religious practices. So, you know, um, that's kind of when I went back to my initial argument. You can't have it both ways because the main argument, conservative argument against gay marriage was that, you know, it, it violated a lot of people's religious beliefs who believed that religion was between a man and a woman. But yet if people were to reference Reynolds versus United States, uh, Chief Morrison, he, he leaves a big contradiction there when he's stating, you know, they can punish criminal activity without regard to religious belief. And although the First Amendment protects religious, be- uh, uh, religious belief, it does not protect religious practices. But and the well, main argument against same-sex marriage was, wait a minute, you know, this is violating our freedom of religion. And if, for example, store owners uh, believe in traditional marriage, then they have the right to, you know, deny baking a cake for a same-sex marriage couple based on their practice of religious belief. So I think uh, the fundamental problem, as I've always stated before, is Americans not have an understanding of American history. And if they did, a lot of them would be um, very shocked. A lot of people live in this bubble, um, especially the younger generation of uh, they believe anything that's said at face value without verifying if it's true or not. They probably would believe if the apocalypse was coming tomorrow and Jesus Christ was coming down from uh, the heavens and the end of the world would end probably if that was aired on MSNBC. I don't know. But um, at the end of the day, a lot of people, um, especially a lot of um, um, political parties, have tried to suppress American history because they want to sweep under the rug a lot of things that they supported that today are considered to be very despicable by most Americans. And so I find, I've always found that to be hypocritical. I always tell people, if you want to find the truth, seek and you shall find. There's two types of people in this world. There's people who will turn the other cheek and have no conscience and have no don't believe in principles or values or have none. And there's people who truly, if they want to seek the truth, the truth is there if you want to seek it. You know, American history, no matter how many, and no matter... How uh, no matter how many attempts the government will try to suppress our 229 years of American history, they may try to suppress it, they may try to distort it, but the truth will always be the truth, and the truth can never be refuted. At the end of the day, the truth will always be the truth. Those may try to distort it, those they may try to misconstrue it, but at the end of the day, the truth stands on its own merit. Amen. And that was actually the reason why the name of my organization when I was first reaching out and building the Christian polygamy movement was is called Truth Bearer. You know, it's a bearer of the truth. The uh, I want to go to the comment that you had made about uh, Reynolds, the United States, and it was indeed most contradictory indeed. And you are wise in recognizing the idea of uh, the, the semantic nuancing between the, uh, the right to religious belief without religious practice. The, the real issue that went on in that case is a complete political subterfuge because here's a guy named Reynolds. 
He's in the territory of Utah. So he doesn't have the ability to use the Tenth Amendment states' rights of position of the Tenth Amendment to say that the federal government doesn't have authority to be ruling in this territory because there is the jurisdictional management clause of the Constitution of Article 4, Section 3, Clause 2 that does give the federal government basically managerial authority to create laws to manage territories, like managing Washington, D.C., for example. So any non-state territory. So the law that was being affirmed in the Reynolds case was the 1862 Murillo Anti-Bigamy Act, which, when you read it, was specifically only po prohibiting polygamy in the territories, in the territories. At my YouTube channel called Mark Hankel Polygamy, I have a speech called In the Territories that specifically explains what happened, how the, the anti-polygamists, all the, all the politicians of that day knew. They said the Tenth Amendment would not let them create an anti-polygamy law because the Tenth Amendment prohibited the federal government involvement. So what they did is they wrote a law that prohibited it only in the territories. So now you've got something that only applies to the territories, doesn't apply to the states. A gentleman within the territory has no defense of the Tenth Amendment because he's not coming from a state and he's not challenging a law based on a state, so he's not able to use the state's rights argument. So he's got to use a different kind of defense. So that's the subterfuge. He's forced into making a freedom of religion defense, and even when he goes and uses a freedom of religion defense, a First Amendment defense, instead of a Tenth Amendment defense, even that ends up coming out with this ridiculous semantic nuancing of saying you have a right to a religious belief but not a religious practice. So it was clear that what they were doing is they were concocting a nationwide precedent by which once that precedent was done, they were then blackmailing all states that wanted to join the union had to enact anti-polygamy laws into their state constitutions before the federal government would let them join the union in the first place. It became a blackmail mm. tool of the federal government to force states that wanted to join. So really, what they did, that's why I refer to them as the quote-unquote liberal, uh, liberal activist judges of the 1878 U.S. Supreme Court in concocting a nationwide precedent that the Tenth Amendment prohibited in the states to create this idea that there's this great anti-polygamy precedent, but really all it did was affirm the right of the federal government to make a territorial jurisdictional management law. So why wise of you to see that? I just wanted to further delineate just how much of a subterfuge the Reynolds v. United States case really was. And the great irony is, today the OMAOs, the OMAO marriage controllers, O-M-O-W, one man, one woman marriage controllers, all want to say, states' rights, states' rights, let the people choose, let the states' rights, Tenth Amendment, Tenth Amendment. And the irony is, is that it was a violation of the Tenth Amendment that got them there, OMAO, in the, in the first place. It was that Tenth Amendment subterfuge getting around the Tenth Amendment prohibition by making a territorial law and then getting it brought up to the Supreme Court and making a nationwide precedent on top of what the Tenth Amendment actually prohibited. So it's, it's, a, it's a great hypocrisy of the one-man, one-woman supporters as well. And real quick, folks, I just make a, have to make a programming note, and then I'll bring it back to you, Mark. Uh, for those there who are out there listening but have not uh, yet called in, uh, you only have an opportunity within the next five minutes to give us a call, or even though the show is going to continue, uh, your ability to listen to the show will cease in the next five minutes. 
However, the remainder of the show, or what we lovingly call Bard's Logic After Dark, uh, or the extended period is what we officially call it, uh, will be continuing and will be part of the archive and the podcast uh, later. Uh, you will no longer be able to hear the live portion of the show. So if you'd like to listen in, give us a call at 347 945 7428. Someone's got their speaker uh, on, then please uh, shut that off because we're getting a little background noise. Thank you. Uh, give us a call at 347 945 7428 if you'd like to listen to the extended period. If not, we definitely want to thank you for coming to the show and to uh, share or download the link uh, so that us folks may have the opportunity to listen to our guest tonight. And I think uh, you've definitely made some great points, uh, Mark, and I think there's definitely some minds who uh, folks listening to the show uh, either tonight or on the archives who once thought, eh, no way uh, to uh, plug me, maybe thinking uh, otherwise, uh, or at least giving some deeper thought uh, than what they you know, originally thought they would. So let's go ahead and uh, bring it back to you, Mark. And then uh, we got you, Kelly, and I'm still hoping to hear from uh, Cindy. I know she's definitely got some things that she'd like to uh, uh, chime in about uh, with our discussion tonight. Uh, she'll take, uh, I think, that she'll take some governmental uh, angles to it, but I think she'll take a lot of the religious aspects to it once we get her on the show. Uh, so let's go ahead and uh, bring it back to Mark. I apologize for uh, interrupting you, but I had to get that uh, programming note out. Go ahead, Mark. No, I'm good. I'm, I'm perfectly fine. I also want to say to my fellow Christians that aside from the fact that the Bible never created the one-man-one-woman doctrine, it simply isn't there. And that as Christians that we say that we are full of scriptura, that that's the point of the Reformation, and that America is actually the result of the soul of scriptura Protestant Reformation, that if we're going to say we believe in the scripture, then we have to realize the scripture never created the one-man-one-woman doctrine. And technically, OMOW, O-M-O-W, one-man-one-woman, is a Catholic doctrine. It is not a doctrine of the Bible. And so if we're going to say we believe in the Bible, let's do that. But more importantly, even aside from any verses in argumentation, think about it for a moment. There is not one person in the Bible who was ever, ever, ever married by government. None. No one. Big government has become the idol, the idolatry of worshiping the false god of big socialist government. So instead of turning to the false god of big socialist government to become your savior of marriage, you can find one man, one woman for your doctrine. Instead, if that's the religious belief you want to have, if you want the belief in one man, one woman, you have the right to that belief. You don't have the right to impose that Catholic-invented religious doctrine on the rest of us. And it's the fact that you use big government to impose that Catholic-invented doctrine that's not based on the Bible, that is what has led to same-sex marriage. It is your fault. But there's a solution. Recognize that God is bigger than government. You don't need the false god of big government. If you would be horrified, which I hope you would be, at a big government gospel control amendment, or if you would be horrified at a big government baptism control amendment, or if you would be horrified at a big government Lord's table amendment, to have gospel control, to have baptism control, to have Lord's table control, in which big government license defines and controls who's allowed 
to preach the gospel or to be baptized or to have the Lord's table, then you should really be horrified at the idea of abominating marriage to have big government marriage control. If you really want to believe in your Christian beliefs, and even if you want to believe in the Catholic invented man-made one-man, one-woman doctrine, you have the right to. But for the love of God, abolish your idolatry. Step out of that and recognize that the government has no business abominating the doctrine of marriage. And so I implore you, there is a way out. There is a way to stop the idea of legalized same-sex marriage. And that is to stop the idea of legalized one man, one woman. Stop the idea of legalized any form of marriage. Let the truth be what the truth is. Believe that God is bigger than God. God is bigger than government. God is big enough. And he doesn't need the big government to protect anything. If that's what you believe, then believe in your God and believe that he is able. And therefore, you don't need a government marriage control. And that's how you can have freedom. And that's how you protect, protect Christians from being abused with discrimination now laws for not recognizing legalized same-sex marriage. That's how you could protect that because you get government out of the marriage control business. If you believe in Christianity, if you believe in the Bible, then your own values, I'm not asking you to betray your values, I'm saying believe in your values and realize the real solution is to abolish all big government marriage control. That's where your values truly lie. They are in. And, and I got a question for before we uh, bring it back to you, Kelly. And, uh, and someone, you know, touched on it earlier. Is let's say, for instance, uh, you had, you know, a man and a woman who are already uh, married, and then they wanted to bring another woman in uh, and have her married uh, as well. And they were to go to, you know, either uh, a church or an organization or what have you, and want to get married, but because of their religious views, say we can't do it, or. For instance, you know, I think someone brought up what if they don't want to have a, a, a wedding cake or they don't want to make a, a wedding cake for someone who wants to have, you know, that second marriage or polygamous marriage, whatever um, it's called. I'm not trying to say that uh, disrespectfully. Uh, would, yep. Do you yep. believe that they, uh, the, the law should make them because of uh, any kind of equal rights laws or anything of that nature uh, to either make that cake or to marry that couple? I do not believe that. No, I do not believe they should be forced against their will to make products that they wouldn't want to make or to uh, provide services that their business doesn't produce. No, I, I do not believe that there is a legitimate basis for big government. I don't believe, you know, to me, that does become creating special rights. So in the same regard that I say no special rights for one man, one woman, I agree with no special rights for same-sex marriage and no special rights for UCAT, unrelated concerning adult polygamous either. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. I was glad to hear you say that. I pretty much thought that you would because of your, you know, previous stances and comments that you made. But uh, that's just something that uh, is really driving me crazy with the same-sex marriage. Is uh, is it looks like when they're talking about, um, you know, equal rights and things of that nature, they're talking about even threatening churches to take away their tax um, tax exempt status if they do not uh, participate in. Uh, you know, participate in uh, doing gay marriage ceremonies, things of that nature, and also making like a $200 fine or something of that nature to, uh, let's say, the cake maker 
who doesn't want to make a cake and put, you know, two men or two women on the, on the cake top or what have you. Uh, so they're, they're, you know, trying to fight for that now too. It sounds like. That's I, one I thing agree. Trying to, uh, I, I have been, yeah, yeah, I have been most Hello? Well, let, let go ahead, Mark, and make his comments and then you too, then you Kelly, go ahead, Mark. I was just going to say that I most emphatically agree that it is not government's business to be telling people, you know, what products they're going to sell and who they're going to serve, you know, for business in that kind of a situation. So I'm not looking for special rights. And actually, that's why the polarized win-win solution to abolish all big government managed control really is a win-win because it really is limited government for the right and equality on the left because everybody's equal, and nobody gets to impose their definition. And when nobody gets to impose their definition, nobody gets to use their imposing definitions to enforce discrimination laws. So it really protects everybody. Limited government is a beautiful thing. It's amazing how many problems limited government solves. It really is amazing. And then go ahead back That's to you, Kelly. Then we've got Ed, and then you, Joe, and then we'll see if we hear from Cindy. If we do hear from Cindy, uh, gentlemen, I will probably stop us all, uh, give deference to her so that uh, she can get in and make uh, her comments, ask her questions, because I definitely want to get her uh, perspective on the show, especially it would be great to have her perspective on the show, uh, I mean, on the topic uh, being female. So let's go ahead and bring it uh, to you, Kelly. Well, yeah, I can't wait till Cindy's uh, comments. I really like a woman's input because they're just sometimes they just nail it, and us guys are like, uh, "You're right." But over to the cake dispute, <clears throat> baking a cake. Mm, cake. It, yeah, mmm, cake. You know, actually, it has nothing to do with social issues. On one hand, on the other hand, it has everything to do with social issues. If a man signs a contract where, you know, a gay marriage candidate says, uh, make me this cake for my specifications. Here it is. It is, uh, you know, this high, this many layers, this frosting, whatever. If he signs a contract, guess what? He has to bake the cake. Now, for breach well, yeah. of contract... Yeah. Exactly. But once he signs the contract under my specifications, he has to bake the cake. Where did I get this yeah. from? Hale versus Henkel, landmark case. 19, either 1905 or 1906. It's been cited by the U.S. Supreme Court like a couple hundred times. The states and lower courts over 1,500 times. It's still a landmark case. It says this. <clears throat> The individual may stand upon his constitutional rights as a citizen. His power to contract is unlimited. He owes no duty to the state nor to his neighbors to open his doors to investigation as it may intend to incriminate him. His laws are existing as a law his rights are existing as the laws of the land, long antecedent before the organization of the state, and can be only taken be taken from him by due process of law and in accordance with the Constitution. In other words, okay, his right to contract is unlimited. Now, your right to contract by saying, I'm not going to do it, I'm not signing this contract, guess what? That's your right. The court has to support it. Once he signs the contract, even if it's a simple lame to my specifications, guess what? He's bound to bake the cake. 
So it's a yes and no. It has nothing to do with the gay agenda. It's the right to contract because people are equal. Once they have consented to an agreement, as free men, they are free women, free whatever, you have made a contract and you must fulfill it. What if you make the contract under false pretenses, making uh, the cake maker, for instance, think that they're they're making a cake for someone who is, uh, you know, a heterosexual marriage, but it, they're actually come and say, oh, well, thanks for making a cake. Can you put this, you know, topper thing on? And then the truth comes out in which you're like, okay, now you're, you know, you actually, you know, I know this might sound like an extre- extreme example, but let's say that, you know, under they had them baking under false pretenses. And now a marriage ceremony is going to be kind of harder because both parties are there, right? Or, you know, multiple parties are there, whichever it ends up being. Um, so that's kind of harder than, you know, the, the manufactured product. So what what about then? If I was an attorney, what I would tell them, I'd say, look, you bake your cake the next, and you bake the cake, all right? You've committed to a contract. But you know what? The next time you get into a contractual relationship, before you sign on the dotted line, bring the cake baking contract to me. And if you refuse to bake a a cake and he sues you, I will defend you. Once you sign on the dotted line, you're committed, that's it. If you do not sign and they say discrimination, I will defend you because you have not committed to the terms of the agreement it comes down to contracting and liberty because we can exchange our time for other people's dollars at business every day. And we can choose to not. The right to power, uh, the power to contract is unlimited, which means you have the right to refuse service to anybody. It's a tricky legal thing. Yeah, it's a very tricky legal thing. You can contract with someone, or you can choose to not contract. The right to contract is unlimited. The Supreme Court case, it's a landmark case, and it has little to do with the Constitution. It has something, it's a higher issue, which is our volition. Because we're free, we can exchange our time for dollars, or our dollars for somebody else's time. In fact, this this is mind-blowing, okay? This is mind-blowing. In Scripture, I found, I haven't got to the religious aspect of our guest Mark yet, but God says, look, whether you make a contract, good or bad, for good or evil, you have to follow through. Yes, yes. Like, what? Yes, what? yes. Remember the Gibeonites. Remember the Gibeonites. Yeah. 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 It's stunning. Yes, absolutely. No, that, that's very true. I, I quite agree. I think that you're, you're, what you said is correct. And, and ultimately, with contract, there are, uh, back when I was in college, it was the, uh, in contract law, the five elements of a contract. And, you know, they are, that they are a genuine offense, meaning that you're not being coerced in signing the contract and that you are, you are knowing what the terms are so that the terms don't change what, you know, the, what you agreed to then suddenly becomes add-ons to things you didn't agree. You were, that was raised in a previous, I think, uh, uh, I think you mentioned that yourself, that the issue of, you know, well, they say, well, why don't you add this and why don't you change that? 
if that changes the terms of the contract, you know, you're not bound to changes. You know, so right. Absolutely. Right. So what, what has to, right. So what has to happen for the religious cake bakers? What has to happen here is they have to have a freaking five-page contract, you know, so they cover all the bases. And by the time the client, the potential client, looks at a five-page contract, they're like, "I'm not going to go with you. It's going to hurt your business." It's a, it's a very difficult situation unless you put in there uh, the cake baker may reject unreasonable requests or excessive requests other than this, you know, four-layer cake, bottom is this dimension, the top is this dimension, a couple, you know, confetti things. You, you know, probably have to add, add, add his discretion. Well, what's frustrating is, you know, I'm an engineer, by the way, okay. and I have clients well, yeah, that, that change their mind. Bring, and real, yeah, Kelly, real quick, and then I want to bring uh, Ed in. Uh, back to, I want to bring our resident uh, anti-federalist in, so we want to bring in Ed, so finish that point up, and then Mark, if you'd like to respond, go ahead, and then I do want to bring in Ed. Go ahead. Well, as an engineer, I get clients that all of a sudden they want to change things. I mean, whoa, 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 that's not an agreement. Right here, boom, that's a change order. Well, how much is that going to cost? You know, this, okay, fine, they agree, and we move forward. But if they want to try to think they're going to and get me into a contract, and then they ask me 10 other additional things, like, no, I know how now this lifetime, because my time is valuable. So you have the right to contract and the right to make change orders. And so a good attorney would actually write these cake contracts perfectly. <laughs> they, they, they could even put in there. If you sneak something in there which disagrees with my religious beliefs, contract is terminated. Boom. Because it's under the guise of a contract. But yeah. if they have signed a contract that they have to bake a cake to a gay marriage candidate to their specifications, they're stuck with it because volition is higher than religious belief once they sign a contract. It's yeah. tricky. It's very tricky. But none of it should matter, really, because ultimately we shouldn't even be having the issue of special rights for same-sex marriage, special rights for one man, one woman, and if government wasn't involved in the first place, you wouldn't even have to be worrying about this tricky issue of law because you wouldn't be worried about the threat of discrimination based on special rights. And that's why I'm saying the government shouldn't be involved in the first place. So let's go ahead and bring uh, Ed back into the conversation and see what Ed's got to say. Go ahead, Ed. Have that rhymed. <laughs> I was a poet and didn't know it. Ed? You know, when you get down to it, um, if I was a cake maker... I would love to be opening my cake store in competition to somebody says, I'm only going to make cakes for certain groups in certain ways and certain this. I would be right out there with, hey, my cake, I, I'm freedom of conscience here. I'm not here to judge your conscience. I'm here to make you a cake. If somebody came in there and said, hey, I, I want you to make a cake because me and my daughter are getting married, I would say, all right, I'll put a dog on the cake and say, you pay me this much, that's fine, uh, and make another cake and move on out. I'm not going to discriminate against somebody's conscience. We can't force conscience on people. we got to allow, you know, and, and, you know, and I'm not, but I also agree that in a free market, if you don't want to, you know, serve somebody that has a different conscience than you, well, so be it. But you're not going to prevail in a free market. In a free market, we have to serve 
you know, all those that come into our business, regardless if they have the same conscience and the same visions as we do. And, you know, the visions of Christianity isn't to uh, say, we're going to damn you. It should be, we love you, we think you're wrong, but here's your cake. Well, that's, you know, an interesting, I mean, it, that's an interesting perspective, you know, for, you know, I guess, you know, you know, for a Christian viewpoint. No, I don't think that, you know, every Christian would say, oh, no, we're not going to bake your cake. But I do see that there would be some, or maybe even some Muslims or whatever that would not do it. I don't think this should be forced to have to. But, yeah, that's that's a point that actually a co-worker of mine uh, as well, you know, makes about, hey, he's like, well, they should have to do it. I said, no, it's a free market. They could go. You know, they could go somewhere else. So if this person isn't going out of business because they don't serve them, well, then that's, you know, they should be in a place where they're going to be able to sell cakes to people who are on in the same mindset that they are. Uh, but let the markets decide on whether they're going to be successful if they decide uh, to go that route and decide on who they're going to serve. But, hey, awesome. I do see Cindy. Uh, uh, well, you know what? As I promised, I did see Cindy uh, put where she'd like to chime in. So I'm going to go ahead and get her into the show. Well, uh, thank you very much, Cindy. How are you tonight? How, how is everyone? There we are. Great to hear from you, Cindy. How are you? <laughs> well, I'm pretty good. Um, and I've been just sitting here quietly waiting and listening. Um, and I have to tell you, um, I'm going to come at this from a different um, perspective altogether. Um, you guys are better qualified to talk about the constitutional issues here and the legal issues and all that. Um, but let me just point this one thing out about the legal issues. If it weren't for our tax laws, it would be a complete moot point. It would not even matter if anyone got married or not. It's the only reason the government gets involved at all. Um, now, um, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to come at you from a biblical worldview. Uh, and first I want to point out that God calls several forms of sexual behavior sin. Um, two of them are even abominations, homosexuality and bestiality. bestiality. Um, sex outside marriage commitment is considered sin. That is, um, that is uh, in the Bible. Okay, so uh, fornication would be a sin. Now, I cannot recall ever having read that having more than one spouse is a sin, however. Um, but problems do exist in, in that kind of relationship. As I read the accounts of the biblical characters, it rarely works out very good to the good of that character, his wives, or the nation in general. Uh, just, uh, for instance, look at David. Uh, now, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. That was definitely adultery because uh, Bathsheba was married to someone else. Is um, every girl, every woman who's married to a man committing adultery? Uh, I don't know. That's up to God. I, I don't read it that way in the Bible, but I suppose that's a possibility with him. Um, but anyway... I look at what happened with Bathsheba, and that ended in a pregnancy. 
and David having to, uh, you know, have her husband killed so that now he could take her for his wife. And now you might say, well, she was married, so that was clearly wrong, right? But think about David's mindset. Um, What got him into trouble? He was used to seeing a woman anywhere, anytime, and wanting her. And in order to get her, he would just marry her. Um, That was the, the, the biblical mandate, sex inside marriage, okay? Um, but it left him wide open to getting used to getting what he wanted, and then when the time came, he didn't have any restraint um, when it came to wanting someone that he should not have had. Um, Look at Jacob. Uh, His father-in-law, Laban, defrauded him, what, two or three times before he finally got the wife he wanted, which was Rebecca, if that hadn't been the culture of the day, uh, where you could have more than wife, um, he probably wouldn't have had the nerve to defraud Jacob. Um, now, jump to modern times. I mean, there's a lot of different um, stories in the Bible that you can go to, but just look at modern times now. Um, best case scenario, in a politi- polygamous situation, all the wise get along, everyone feels equal, everyone feels equally loved, um, and everybody's happy. Worst case scenario is, look at the Muslim world, where wives can be nothing more than kidnapped minors being used as sex slaves and and servants. Um, You say, well, that's not the way we are here in the United States, our polygamy is different than that. Well, What's the next step? You know, one step leads to another, um, and it could end up that way. Uh, And we know that there is a lot of sex sex slave trade going on right here in the United States. Uh, Charlotte, North Carolina is a hub for that kind of activity. Uh, The world of the polygamous lends itself to take advantage of misguided, weak women with low self-esteem uh, and, and it begs for jealousy to enter into a household and, and create uh, chaos. Um, well, why not women with multiple men as husbands? Um, I'm sure that Mark would say that that's fine with him. Uh, but you're not going to see that very often because men are so much more possessive and jealous of their women. And so I doubt you're going to see very much of that. Uh, what it ends up doing is kind of trapping the weaker sex into, and yes, I am a person who thinks that a woman is the weaker sex, and I can go through lots of reasons why I believe that, and I do believe that a woman is best um, best off if she finds a woman, a man, excuse me, <laughs> if she finds a man who loves her um, and uh, takes care of her and wants to, you know, be with her till the end of her life uh, and give her security and all that. And that's just, there's a lot of reasons I feel that way, and I don't want to go into that now, but um, I know that I sound so narrow-minded to some of you guys, but just bear with me. Um, Anyway, I don't believe that polygamy is God's best. I don't believe that God said, absolutely no, do not do it, it's a sin, because I don't see that in the Bible. 
Um, but it, I don't think it's his best um, because, for one thing, in the New Testament, um, he taught us that a pastor or a deacon, uh, one of their qualifications was that he must be the husband of just one wife. Um, that tells me that God likes or even ordains uh, the one-woman, one-man marriage. What's good for society? Okay, what's good for society? When you when you consider the importance of the family unit, how kids should be raised, the atmosphere of the home, loyalty of the family unit, uh, learning to commit to one person, uh, emotional safety, kids and spouses, harmony and peace in the home, all these attributes are found in a one-woman, one-man marriage recognized by the church or God if they have made their own decision, their own choice, and not been forced into it, arranged into it above their will. That seems to be, when you look at marriages that survive, homes that are happy and peaceful, that's... That is the that's what the family unit looks like: a man, a woman, and their children who love each other, respect each other, commit to one another, and don't bring some other person into the um, the, the arena to cause jealousy or disharmony. Um, now, I know that Mark will say, well, you know, that polygamous people make their own choice, and so uh, when they come into it, they come into it uh, in a peaceful way, and they have harmony because uh, they all um, came into it um, as, as a personal choice uh, out of their own free will. And, and that's a good thing here in the United States, but I just see where it heads once it becomes the culture of a nation, as it is in the Muslim nations, it lets itself be open to lots of abuses for those women who end up trapped in those marriages. Um, you know that a, a, a Muslim cannot be a Muslim cannot be um, there, a woman. A woman just can't get a divorce in a Muslim marriage. So if her husband real, real starts quick, bringing real, home all these extra wives, she has no recourse. You know. Real, real quick, Cindy, I'm just going to make it real quick, Cindy, and I'm going to make a quick comment, and you mm-hmm. go on. Uh, and, and I'm just saying, this, as someone who studied uh, multiple religions, uh, is that the view, and, and here's where I think it's different, uh, where it perhaps polygamy can happen to be successful here in the United States, and Mark will talk more on this, I'm sure, uh, more successful in the United States, uh, more so than in, a, let's say, an Islamic country. And I would say that that is the case because it, not just in the nation or the country, but the way Islam views women and the way Christianity views women are two totally different, uh, almost, you know, diametrical ways that they see them. Uh, whereas in Christianity, I don't think they see them as much as property as in Islamic religions, and, and Mark, you could touch more about like some sure you've probably done even more research on that than I have. Um, but but that's I why love, I think I where. Would love, well, just remember that I would love to jump in. 
Christianity I, I is on its way out in America anyway. So you're going to have I would a love situation where not just Christians are going to be polygamists. It's going to be a lot of other religions, a lot of other, um, you know, just people in general, um, non-believers altogether, you know, um, just uh, uh, atheists and anybody can would be able to do it. And I think that the women are going to be um, in great danger in, in that situation. May I jump in? Sure. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Mark. I, I, um, the, the, the challenge I had before me is I've now counted 10 different issues I need to address in that soliloquy. <laughs> <laughs> I always do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I'm going to try to do my best uh, without, uh, without making a soliloquy of my own. Uh, I, I love that you recognize that the Bible did not prohibit or say that polygamy was a sin. And the That's story right. of David, the story of David, I am very well aware. I have a, a very fun storytelling speech about the story of David and what it shows about God and polygamy on my YouTube channel, Mark Ankle Polygamy. And it's actually, that's what it's titled, The Story of David and What It Shows About God and Polygamy. And the truth is, is that by the time the situation of Bathsheba, you were exactly correct about, was he had already had seven known named wives with six sons, and God had continued to build up his family throughout that process. And what God does is God sends a prophet named Nathan to David and tells him a story and basically uh, uh, tells him that he took this man's one wife and had the husband killed. When he went, and what, here's the critical thing that God says to David through Nathan in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 8. And he says, I gave you your wives, and I gave you all the king of Israel, kingdom of Israel. And if you had wanted more, I would have given you more. But you took this man's one wife and had him killed. And that's why the child died. And that's what God was against. He was against the adultery of having another, taking another man's wife, for sure. But if God had this idea that, that polygamy wasn't God's best, then he would have stopped him along the whole line when David first... The two came in, and then he had 400 more men, and then he had 600 men, and then he had the town of Ziklag, and then he has Judah, and he has four more wives. And you know, God wouldn't keep building up his political career if that was not God's best. The thing about David to understand is that it says that when the prophet Samuel anointed him in first chapter, first Samuel chapter 16, right on up to the very last breath David spoke in second Samuel chapter 23, it says the Spirit of God was upon David all his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. And you see that phrase several times throughout the telling of the story, that David was perfect in all his ways in the eyes of the Lord, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. The matter of Uriah the Hittite was having Uriah killed. It was not the polygamy. And it was not that that wasn't God's best. And the reality is what we see from that story is God himself taking personal responsibility for giving David his wives and saying, David, I would have given you more if you would ask. So that's the story of David itself. As for Jacob, uh, it actually, it wasn't Rebecca that he married because, well, that was his mother. Uh, it was Rachel uh, was the one that he was married. And he, he had never Sorry, one. yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, whoa, 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 time out, time out. <clears throat> there's a phrase in that portion of scripture that's stunning where, you know, of course Samuel gives the analogy 
and David says, the man who did this must surely die. You are that man. Yeah. And yeah. Nathan tells him the sin. Then uh, David was freaked out, and Samuel said, you are not going to die. The Lord is taking away your sin. You're not going to Nathan. die. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, you're not going to die? What's that mean? David had committed two capital offenses. One was adultery. Adultery no. was the death penalty in the Hebrew system. Oh, yes. Secondly, murdering someone was the death penalty. So yes. it's stunning here that, you know, he may have married these women who, you know, they were single. Okay, let's just say that. He had a bunch of wives that were single. But when he crossed the line and committed adultery and killed Uriah the Hittite, that's when God stepped in because his word cannot be mocked. Right. It's fascinating to see that he incurred the death penalty twice. But he suffered. This is fascinating. He suffered something far worse than the death penalty. You know what it was? I his can't own, wait. His own son was killed. Mm-hmm. That is worse, worse than the death penalty. God was not mocked here. No, no, there is truth to that, and, and, and I, I definitely want to go on. I just wanted to get that clarity that God himself, out of his own mouth, through the prophet Nathan, said he gave David his wives. And so certainly, from that standpoint, the idea of this ideal of God's best can't be applicable. When God himself, out of his own words, said he gave David his wives, and said he would have given David any more. Uh, I wanted to go on well, to the other issues that have been mentioned in the soliloquy, but I do want to, I mean, a whole bunch of things have been said that really need to be clarified, but I do want to try to touch on them if I can. Well, wait a minute, Mark. Ahead, Mark. Let, me, let, me just, let, me just, let me just say something about that, too. Um, please remember that many times in the Bible, God allowed certain things to happen that were not right, but he allowed them to happen. It, it, and But then he used that to make something good out of it. In other words, he he would take a sin and actually use it for his own glory. Um, and that doesn't mean that he he sanctioned everything that was done. He just got glory from it anyway. And, I want to put my hand up. Was, and, uh, huh? <laughs> I'm putting what, my hand Ellen? up. Go ahead. I'm putting okay. my hand up. Go ahead. <laughs> well, put your hand up and say something. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm waiting until you get done because I always like your words. Oh, okay. Well, well go ahead. We also, of course, we'll give Mark the, the opportunity to clarify. Go ahead. Me or Cindy? Well, Cindy said she was done, and then let's go ahead and give Mark the opportunity to uh, respond to her and then you, Kelly. And then uh, I know we've got some uh, comments. We, we still got a little bit of time before we have to start closing things out, but uh, we do have... Uh, some comments that we're going to get from Joe uh, that are very important to uh, us and the show. And so uh, I want to definitely hear from him uh, and give him some, some minutes for that uh, before we have to close things out. Uh, and so go ahead, Mark, and then Kelly. And then what we're going to do is, uh, you know, move forward. But then I, I, I guess about at quarter till the hour, which isn't about uh, 10 minutes, uh, I want to go ahead and uh, bring Joe in. Uh, for uh, something he'd like to uh, tell us on the show. It is it is important and uh, for the show, and so I want to bring uh, him in. And so uh, let's go ahead and bring it back uh, to Mark and then Kelly, and then uh, we'll move forward that way. Go ahead. 
as I said, the, right. I've written down like many different points that had been uh, lifted through the original soliloquy, and that the, the, no matter how much someone might want to find ways to try to uh, say what God is saying, God himself is saying what he said in Second Samuel 12.8, and then God himself describing himself as a polygamist in Jeremiah 3, again in Ezekiel 23, and of course Jesus Christ, with the parable of the wise virgins in Matthew 25, 1-13. The, the application of trying to say that polygamy is a sin means that you have, you have to define it as either fornication or you have to define it as adultery, which it is neither, because the original adultery uh, is not after the uh, seventh commandment in Exodus 20, and it's the woman who breaketh wedlock. So as long as a woman's not breaking a wedlock, then no adultery occurs. And that's why it was adultery with Uriah's wife, but it wasn't with the other wives that he married. Now, the understanding that America is a modern society, and we're not talking about a Muslim society. And today's American woman, yes. I love and I respect and I acknowledge that today's modern American woman is smart. She's strong. Anti-polygamy requires us to think that women are stupid, and they're not. Women are, will put a man in his place faster than he can blink. So the idea that somehow a modern woman has to be, is going to put up with some guy being this dominating jerk, that's just not going to happen. That's a fantasy that is imagined by false stereotypes. In the real world, you will have examples where, for example, a stay-at-home mom or a woman who wants the choice to be a stay-at-home mom and another woman who wants to be a career woman who wants to travel, the two of them can come together. They can make a choice with a good proven man who is committed, and the woman who has to travel can do so knowing her children are being loved and cared for by a woman who loves the children. Her husband's not out philandering, and she's able to know that, that woman, other woman is caring for her children rather than shipping her children off to low-paid strangers at daycare who don't share her values. We're talking about modern American women. I respect and have total confidence in the strength of, of today's woman. And I do not believe that we have to have this belief in the whimpering, pathetic little wayfarer woman that women somehow are these products. We're not, that's not American women. That's not American reality in our modern society. I'm talking about full consenting adults making a choice. And so the idea and that we're being number saying, <laughs> exa exa you know, that's, a, that's another point, too. You have two women out there. The minute that guy thinks he's going to be an idiot, those women are going to gang up on him. He's not going to get away with it. I mean, I've got to say, most yeah, guys look, have been married. Look how, many daughters and, look how many times daughters and moms gang up on the dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, forget about it. You know, there's a thing Wait a second. That, that, you, think, you guys think that a, a, a group of Muslim women can, can gang up on their husband? That ain't going to happen. Once it's in our culture... Once, 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 once it's in our culture, wait a minute, once it's in our culture, Mark, people will do that. They will, there will, there will be one man will, will support the other guy, the other polygamist and the other polygamist, and it'll be part of the culture and they'll actually put their wives in jail if they, if they, um, or can stone them. Those men can do anything well, no, that, to those wives that they want to do. That's not going to happen in modern America. That's not going to happen. You can't, if you can't show your wife that's, in America. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, but America. so far you've got. That's not, not going to happen. You don't see how you don't see how 
a hundred years ago, the things you're seeing here in the United States today, you, you, you can't see that people back then would have said, oh, that's never going to happen. You can't say that's never going to happen. I'm, uh, do you, are you a statist or do you believe in free markets? I, I believe in free markets. You believe in free markets. Why? Well, here's what, I, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a free marriage market that doesn't have socialism, marital socialism. All socialism leads to mediocrity because it does that on the pursuit of excellence. Here's what happens. If you have 10 men and 10 women and nine of those men are jerks, like we have in our current era of dumbed-down males, where our society is littered with abandoned single moms and marriage public males. So you have 10 men and 10 women, and nine of those men are jerks. The marital socialism that cries out like Karl Marx, one to each, somebody might have one, so that nine of those women have just had tyranny imposed upon them, depriving them of the choice of the good man. Because if you instead let a free, laissez-faire, free market marriage economics take place, what happens? Suddenly, the nine women who, after the one gets the good man, now realize they have the option of the good man too. Then what happens? The other nine men realize now they better hurry up and smarten up, or they're the ones who are going to get out. And so that creates competition for the men to become better, for the women to choose, and then it equilibrates anyway, and it gets rid of the idea of dumbed-down males, and gets rid. it actually makes better quality men for the women to choose. So it equilibrates. So this idea that we're in a country where we're suddenly going to become increasingly tyrannical and that women are going to increasingly become more pathetic ways and unintelligent, that's just not going to happen. Women are smart. Women are strong. I have nothing but mad respect and love and adoration for how amazing women are. And women are value adders. And there's no way women are going to put up with that happening in our society. That's just not going to happen in a real world. So this idea that we need to deal with creating laws for what's good for society as a culture, that's called social engineering. That's liberalism. That's using government to enforce an imposition of an ideal that then forces people to do things against their will rather than the free marriage market. So saying, now, now wait a minute. So you're saying that homosexuality is, uh, is socially a good thing for our nation. I am not saying that, but I'm saying, see, the issue is, the question we need to ask is not, what do we allow? The question is, what is government allowed to disallow? Because this is not everything I like. Here's an example. It says in Revelation that all liars will have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone. And yet, we don't criminalize lying. Why not? Lying is not good. You'd be the first to agree with me that lying is not good. Why don't we criminalize it? Because not everything has to be criminalized. And so that's the point, that we don't ask the question, what do we allow by using statism and big government? The question is, what do we allow government to disallow? Because the lying Constitution is... is wait, 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 wait. Lying is criminalized when it, when it affects uh, you telling a lie about someone else, especially in a court of law. Well, no, see, now you're talking specifics. But just general, you can go to somebody you know right now and lie to them. You won't go to jail for it. I, I, I get it. You mean, breach of contract, lie. You've got, uh, you know, other types of lies, fraud. I get that. We're talking, that's not the outright definition of just pure, straight out lying to one of your neighbor. You get someone else you, and you decide you're going to lie to them, you can. And it's not against the law. And yet lying will send you to hell. 
we'll talk about the ultimate sin, the ultimate punishment, and yet we don't criminalize that because not everything needs the force of big socialist government to impose a will upon the people. It doesn't mean I agree with everything, but it doesn't mean we have to use big government because when you use big government, you only end up getting more big government. You know, you, I, I think it's kind of naive that you say a woman can, can put a man in his place, uh, and, and many women can put a man in, in, in his, a man in his place better, even better. But I, I think what you're forgetting is there is tons of, of spousal abuse going on right now, women feeling trapped in their marriages because their, their husband says they're gonna, he's going to come after them and find them and, sh- and kill them um, if they ever leave him. Um, you so know, we should criminalize monogamy then. Over the place. So don't, Let's don't criminalize monogamy. Let's criminalize monogamy. Because you know, hey, what I'm saying is don't, don't, don't categorize women today as all strong-willed, smart, intelligent women, especially when we know how um, the statists are dumbing down our schools so badly and women are becoming just as dependent on government as they are dependent on a man. Um, but you're so asking to say can't them. look at them as 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 uh, all. Well, unfortunately, yeah, and and unfortunately, then, folks. Gosh, I tell you what, as, as Dan has pointed out many times uh, on the show, and I tell you what, if we even had uh, Dan on here as well, we probably could pr- use up another uh, two hours uh, with the way we're going. We could we could use another uh, hour. Unfortunately, uh, we don't have that. Uh, but what we do have is uh, hopefully the another opportunity. Uh, to have you on, Mark, and I can definitely see where we can have more conversation, especially uh, in the tone that we are having right now. But unfortunately, we only have 15 minutes left. Uh, so what I want to do is, uh, Mark, if you just can take a few moments uh, for some closing statements, and then, of course, you're welcome to finish off the show. Maybe tell us a, a website folks can go to in order to get more information uh, about your advocacy. That'd be great. And then I definitely want to bring in uh, our panelist, Joe because he's got some uh, some updates uh, for himself that it, we're going to be talking about briefly. And then, unfortunately, I'll have to close out to the show. Uh, Mark, I want to appreciate, tell you, I really appreciate you spending all the time that you have with us. I really would like to have uh, you back on the show again. I certainly think we can have uh, a great discussion as well. Uh, you know, for that, Cindy, you're, you know, you're bringing in some some points that definitely want us to, to talk more about, because I think uh, what's on your mind, Cindy, is on a lot of people's minds. And I really hope we can uh, at some point uh, do that, do this again. But, Mark, let's go ahead and uh, bring it over to you for some closing comments. If you could tell us where we can find out some more information about uh, what you're working on, your organization, and then uh, we'll bring in Joe. Go ahead, Mark. I have appreciated this conversation and certainly the various points of view that have been mentioned. I am clearly coming at this from the same side of conservatism. What I am trying to do is help my fellow conservatives, my fellow Christians, to stop betraying our own values and come back to what our actual values are. And those values are limited government conservatism and Bible-based Christianity. I have nothing but absolute respect and love for women. I think women are amazing and awesome and strong, and I know women are strong. I know this firsthand. I have been married many, 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 many years, and there is nothing better for a man than an value-adding woman, absolutely. And I think women are phenomenal, and I do know that in today's society that the most common situation is that men 
are never going to be able to get away with being idiots with most women. There will always be bad examples, just like there are bad wife beaters in monogamy. We shouldn't be criminalizing monogamy. Then we shouldn't be criminalizing poisoning. I believe that individuals should be free to make their own choice and that there should no, not be any big false god of socialist government telling us what we're going to do. There should be no big government marriage control, just like there should be no big government gospel control, baptism control, or Lord's table control. I believe that we should be able to re move forward from the Obergefell, the Hodges decision of the Supreme Court that legalized same-sex marriage. There's only three options left to conservatives. One is to die and do nothing. Two is to continue the failed attempt of the federal marriage amendment that will never pass through 37 states, or three, to listen to what Mark Hankel has been telling you conservatives for the last 20 years, and that is the true faith-saving solution that allows conservatives to hold on to our own political values of limited government is to embrace the polygamy rights win-win solution, abolish all big government marriage control for unrelated consenting adults. And conservatives get limited government, liberals get equality for all, nobody gets to redefine marriage, nobody gets to impose their definitions on anybody's marriage, nobody gets to force religious people to do what they wouldn't do. Everybody's free and limited government exists. We can have a true free society the way our founders created, and that's what I'm asking my fellow conservatives and fellow Christians to embrace. Let's finally win this debate in a way that America will thank us. Let's abolish all big government marriage control for unrelated consenting adults. I'm Mark Hankel. I'm the National Polygamy Advocate. You can find me at nationalpolygamyadvocates.com. I'm also on LinkedIn under my name, Mark Hankel, M-A-R-K-H-E-N-K-E-L. I'm also on YouTube, Mark Hankel Polygamy. And I'm even on Pinterest as M. Hankel Polygamy. So there's ways to find me. I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me one way or another. But let's finally end the marriage debate once and for all with the polygamy rights win-win solution. Abolish all marriage control for unrelated consenting adults. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you very much, Mark. And, and seriously, we'd love to have you back on. Again, definitely like to hear uh, you and uh, Cindy continue on uh, with the conversation. And folks, uh, I believe you can also find uh, Tim on Twitter as well. And so uh, thank you very much, Mark. And, uh, Welcome to Stanley for the next 10 minutes. So let's go ahead and bring it over uh, to Joe because Joe's got uh, an announcement for us. And then uh, I'll go ahead and close up the show. Mark, we got about uh, – I'm not Mark. Joe, we got about uh, five minutes, and then I'll have to close things out, unfortunately, for the night. My gosh, I wish I, we had another hour, even though I wouldn't get – I'd get even less sleep than the four I'm going to get. Uh, but still, it's just uh, an incredible conversation tonight, and I thank everyone for that. So go ahead, Joe. Sure. Um, uh, first and foremost, um, it's uh, been quite an honor and a privilege to be a part of this show. Um, this show has uh, been a wonderful experience for me. Um, I am pretty much up until last year, um, I was uh, a newcomer uh, in, uh, you know, listening to blog talk radio shows. And uh, I found something special, a special connection when I uh, first appeared on uh, uh, Robert's show. And um, I, uh, I feel that strong connection. Um, it's, it's the best three hours uh, I uh, spend each week and I look forward to. But, um, you know, there's a lot at stake 
uh, I am an American patriot who deeply cares about my country, and uh, our country is going in the wrong direction. And if we don't change course very quickly, we won't. We will. We will eventually become like Greece. And I've told many people, I will fight for my country till the end, or I will die trying. And so, for a few months, I have been negotiating a deal, um, an offer, and a position with a political candidate who just entered the race. On Monday, the 15th candidate, Scott Walker, and I'm officially announcing that I have accepted a position as an opposition researcher on his team, and because of my obligations and also because of a clause um, in my contract that forbids me to uh, speak about any manners pertaining to any of the presidential candidates, especially Scott Walker, to the press or on any uh, media or radio shows. Today will be my last show until next November. Um, And uh, as much as it pains me to have to say goodbye and take a sabbatical, it's not goodbye, it's until we meet again and know that I am fighting to preserve our country. And I look forward to coming back on this show next November when we have elected a conservative in the White House and when we truly take back our country and change course and do what Reagan did when our country was in great despair. It took the leadership of a true leader like Reagan to do the unthinkable, and that was to save this country from the brink of, of, of collapse. And we've did it once. And American history has always shown we will pre- we've always prevailed when we faced insurmountable odds. And I've never given up the hope, as other people have, that this country is too late to be saved. And I will fight till my last breath to ensure that our country takes the right direction that it needs to. And so I say my goodbyes, Cindy and uh, Robert and uh, Dan, if you're listening, and um, Kelly and um, Ed and everyone else. Uh, But know that uh, I'll be fighting uh, in the trenches and I'll be with you guys in spirit. And next November, uh, I'll be so happy to come on the show. Um, because I'm I'm so positive that um, we will be able to elect a conservative in the White House, and we will finally end the Obama-Clinton doctrine once and for all, and we will finally get our country back on track. We failed in 2012. We failed, but we will not fail in 2016. And I leave Just you. Just remember, that. nothing nothing keeps you from listening to us, though. <laughs> certainly, and not, certainly, and uh, Joe and I will be uh, keeping contact uh, throughout the you know election. We'll be uh, you know, talking and corresponding off air, uh, and then of course, uh, but you know, unfortunately, we'll not be able to have him on. And, and I respect that, and I, I wish you the best of luck, Joe. And uh, I'm glad we're going to be able to uh, talk outside of the show as well. It's great having you on here. Uh, this is an audience member calling in, and then one of our panelists. Uh, for the show, and to be honest, I was looking forward to having your contribution, especially during the 
election with your uh, campaign expertise, but I understand uh, your position, and uh, of course we'll honor that. And so we'll uh, say farewell to Joe, and we'll uh, definitely uh, have him back when he's ready to come back on. And I want to thank everybody for uh, coming to the show tonight, and of course definitely share the link out uh, the folks hey, so they can hear hey, uh, uh, all of the Robert? great conversation we had tonight. Yes, Kelly. Hey, Robert. You know, Joe, yeah. i got to tell you right up front, I am so sad that you're not going to be joining us. Not only do I like you, I respect you. And I'm so sad. And Robert, can I throw out a quick funny? A quick funny, and then unfortunately I have to close things out. You know, I only have a few minutes left. Go ahead. Okay, it'll make it quick. All right. So we've talked about polygamy. We've talked about the Islams. We've talked about the American women who have had freedom go into their genetics through generation after generation, who also know how to shoot guns. So, if Islam comes to America, what's going to happen here? So what if you get three or four or five uh, wives by an Islamic jihadist, whatever? The American women are, like, going to freaking gang up on him and shoot him to death, and then they're going to take over the government. <laughs> so with, with the American women, we're in good hands, even if Islam takes over the country. <laughs> And All right, with that, I have we will to say, end with that. Go ahead, Cindy. <laughs> well, I just want to. Rec- I just one of our founders said our government. Our government was will only work. It was created only for a moral and religious people. If if it ever is not, it will implode. So I just want you to keep that in mind. And we'll definitely uh, have shows on that as well. Uh, you're welcome, John. I, I'm glad that we're going to be able to to keep contact. And speaking of women, I will uh, end the show tonight, as I do every night, and that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. Thank you, everyone, for a wonderful show. Definitely, as I said, uh, share the link to others. Uh, can hear all this great conversation we had tonight. And so, good night, all. Take care, and we'll see you soon. Good night. Good night. Good night. Bye, folks.